NFL season is 11 days away. Get ready for it with the Ringer Fantasy Football Show, with the Ringer NFL Show, with Ryan Rossillo's show, with the Ringer Gambling Show. And you can also check out our local podcasts, Off the Pike, our Boston podcast, New York, New York, our New York podcast, and Full Go, our Chicago podcast, also launching a Philly podcast right before the season. Get ready for the football season with The Ringer and TheRinger.com. Great website. 11 days away. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Uber Eats. Spring is here and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana, that's a no, but a banana, that's a yes. A nice tan, sorry, no, but a box fan, happily, yes. A day of sunshine, nope. A box of fine wines, yeah. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets, product availability may vary by region. See app for details. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. New rewatchables coming Monday night. It is a Sylvester Stallone movie. That's the only hint I'm giving you. Um, hey, my friend Zane Lowe convinced me to go on TikTok. I had already had a TikTok account, but I wasn't doing anything. But um, I started firing up some clips and uh, a couple weird takes. And if you want to check it out, my account is 33BS33. So TikTok, kind of fun. I don't really totally understand it, but I do like that you basically have 20 to 25 seconds to win somebody's attention over the take. And if you don't do it in the first two seconds, it's done. I'm messing around. I might mess around during football season. There might be some nephew Kyle uh, having a heart attack as the Patriots fall behind by 14 in the first quarter of the season. Might put a couple of those clips on there. But anyway, you can check that out on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. You know the Instagram, you know my Twitter, but TikTok. 33 BS 33 coming up on this podcast, Warren Sharp from the ringer gambling show is going to pop on and talk about his 10 favorite NFL future bets. Joe house joins us midway through and, uh, and I throw out a couple as well. So that was really fun. And then we needed a little NBA. This will probably be the last Sunday for a while that we talk about NBA. So I brought Justin Termini, our friend from the, uh, radio show with Eddie Johnson that he does on the Sirius XM channel really good show every afternoon. So he came on and we talked about kind of the underrated storylines of the season that got overshadowed by Kevin Durant. So that is all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, our friend Warren Sharp is here. You know him from Sharp Football. You know him from the Winner Gambling Show. He's not been on this podcast since the spring. 
he has already made most of his future bets. We're going to have his uh, Friday Ringer Gambling Show podcast partner, Joe House, join us a little bit later. And we're going to just make fun of House's bets because I guarantee most of them are bad. Um, I should also mention before we get going that nephew Kyle, um, you might want to start drinking now because there's going to be some Patriot thoughts that you're not going to be happy with. So He's not uh, going to like this. He, he He's already been after me on Twitter a little bit about some of my uh, Mac Jones takes, so. Well, let's start with the Patriots. They've had an alarming preseason, like absolutely alarming. There has been, and it's not just how bad they've looked in the preseason games. It's the day-to-day practices. And the Patriots have great beat writers. They have, you know, Tom Curran, Andrew Callahan, and uh, Mike Reese. And all these dudes are, are really good. And all of them every day after practice are like, the Pats offense looked terrible again. And they have decided to throw away the offensive coordinator position for reasons that I don't understand. Um, they've looked super disjointed. They're secondary. They're relying on a fourth round rookie and Jalen Mills as their cornerbacks. They've kind of thrown away the linebacker position for the most part. And they're in a, a conference that, in my opinion, I think the AFC is just better than the NFC. I think, I think we actually have a lopsided league. I don't see a path for them to make the playoffs sharp. What do you see? That's one of my top 10, uh, futures. You know, you asked me, come on, get, bring your uh, top 10 futures with you. I think the Patriots are going to struggle to make the postseason. And and I thought that ever since I started writing my book. This isn't something that just came to me with what I saw in the preseason. But I, you know, I'm glad that you are being pretty objective about this situation because, you know, the Patriots in camp, there were all these rumors and issues and concerns with all those well-known beat writers who you just named. And as the preseason has unfolded and as we've seen the games, like this stuff hasn't gotten cleaned up. This stuff hasn't gotten better. The stuff that those beat writers who are covering this team every single day were worried about and saying, yes, I know it's early August or I know it's late July, but this offense has being installed has been being installed for months now. We should be much further along than we are right now. And those things were still concerns. Now, why I, I, I watched just- on Friday night against the Raiders. Yeah, it was an absolute shit show. I mean, they couldn't have gone worse. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I was just saying the the, part of the reason why I've gotten to this point beyond just what I see with my eyeballs and what I read from the media, two of two of which are very important when you're trying to calculate futures is we saw what Bill Belichick did after Tom Brady won that Super Bowl. Bill Belichick went ham in free agency like he's never done before. And every single one of those players that he signed Now their salary cap hit is over double what it was last season. So we're talking about Jonu Smith and Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, guys that like weren't integral last season are now double the cost this season. And salary cap's important because it limits what you can do elsewhere on the field. And obviously- Well, wait, you got to mention they've they've spent the most money on wide receivers and tight ends of anyone in the league. I think it's 72 million on the cap this year, which is crazy because they don't have a number one target. No, I mean, if you look at that receiving core and you say this receiving core is costing us, including tight ends, seven, over $70 million on the cap, you, you would not believe the two things could be correlated whatsoever. Because of that spending, they lost J.C. Jackson in part because of that spending. Uh, Shaq Mason is with the Bucks. They traded him, but he for, was one of the better. Pick. He was a fourth overall graded out guard out of 88 guards. He was the second best right guard by pro football focus last season. 
Ted Karras is now with the Bengals out of 88 guards. He graded out seventh best in pass blocking last season. We're talking about two top 10 guards are now no longer on the team. And I know they have a plan of who they're going to play in their place, but expecting top 10 performance out of those players is very unlikely. Obviously, you already talked about their linebacker position. You know, Kyle Van Noy graded out as the number one coverage linebacker per PFF last season. He is now gone. He's with the Chargers as well. Then you look at, who is on this wide receiving core? Who is Mac Jones throwing the football to? And, you know, they go out and they get Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker, I've said this before. It's not like this might not be the first time you guys are hearing it, but he is the least likely guy to gain separation in the NFL. So you say, okay, that's fine. That's just who he is. Yes, you're right. He's just a jump ball guy. Yes, you're right. That's not how Mac Jones throws the football. Look at his receivers in Alabama. Look at who he's used to throwing the football to. Look at what he did last season. He throws to open players more than the league average last season. And he did it a ton in college because of all the receivers that they had down there at Alabama. And these guys were able to get open. Now you're expecting him to throw the ball into tight windows with precision. Like I like Mac Jones, but that's just really not the guy type of guy that he's excelled at throwing to throughout his career thus far. And that is why guys like Tua and even Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jacoby Brissett, they all led the league in tight window throws with the Dolphins because of how often they were trying to target their number one receiver down there in Devontae Parker. Now, you also factor in that this team Yes, I was impressed. I was shocked that they were able to go only one season in sort of a soft rebuild and then get back to double digit wins. But three of they they won uh, three of 10 games versus teams that had a winning record. One of those games last season was against Buffalo in a hurricane. One of those games last season was against the Tennessee Titans, who was without almost everyone like A.J. Brown didn't play. Uh, Derrick Henry didn't play. Julio Jones didn't play. And, and they had a really good win against the L.A. Chargers last season. Now I show them playing the eighth toughest strength of schedule this year after playing the eighth easiest strength of schedule last season. They have terrible rest situation as well. And I just I just think it's going to be tough. And as you mentioned, the AFC is stacked. That's why I agree. Patriots to miss the playoffs is one of my favorite uh, top 10 futures of the season. So on FanDuel right now, they're plus 160 to make the playoffs and minus 198 to miss it. And you also have, there's some there's some bets like if you really want to short the Pats, like you could say if they go six and eleven or worse, that's plus two eighty on FanDuel. If they go seven and ten or worse, that's plus one sixty. And their under for the season is uh, eight and a half. The the case if you're going to make a case for them, their schedule the first part of the year is actually like pretty favorable. Like from week five to week eight, they're home Detroit at Cleveland with no Deshaun home Chicago, and at the Jets. And then they have Indianapolis home week nine, bye week, and then week 11, the Jets again. So you can make a case if they can somehow, first four weeks, it's at Miami, at Pittsburgh, Baltimore, at Green Bay. If they can somehow get two and two out of that, then they have this nice soft schedule coming up. But I, to me, it's like the preseason and practice every day has to matter at least a little bit. And I just, I worry, I don't know, I, I'm really starting to worry about Belichick. Be, between the drafts that he's had the last couple of years, between the weird free agent spree that he went on last year, and then this offensive coordinator thing, like people, high school teams don't do this. High school teams have offensive coordinators. I don't want to sound like I'm super panicky, but man, I'm just not seeing anything this summer that I'm like, all right, feeling good about that. Ooh, okay. It's, it's just been a lot of hits. All right, so 
one thing, one thing I mentioned, we're going to, you're going to give us your top 10. So there was one. Do you agree that the AFC is just stronger than the NFC this year? I do. But uh, at the same time, I think that all of the top teams around the league on both conferences have potentially more problems this year than they did last year or the year before that. And thus there are some holes amongst those top teams, but in general, Conference versus conference, yes, the AFC is stronger top to bottom for sure. Because I've been trying to figure out my playoff teams. And as you know, every year there's between five and seven playoff teams get bounced the next year, right? So if you're going to say from last year, let's say Tennessee, Vegas, Arizona, and the Patriots, and Pittsburgh, let's throw out, there's five that are realistic. You bounce them, right? So in the AFC, Buffalo, Cincy, Indy, KC as the division winners, and then Baltimore and the Chargers, maybe some mix of those six. For you, who is, who's that seventh AFC team? If I'm going to give you those six, Buffalo, Cincy, Indy, KC, Baltimore, and the Chargers. Do you have Vegas? Do you have Denver? Do you have um, somebody, Pittsburgh, somebody at Miami? Who do you have? You gave me Cincy or did you not give me Cincy? I have Cincy in there already in the six. Okay. Um, so you could have I Miami, go, you could Mi- have Vegas, I go Denver. Miami. I go Miami. I go Miami uh, and Denver is close, but I lean Miami. That's one of my top 10 is Miami to win over eight and a half games this year. Oh, wow. So Miami to win the division plus 450. Um, yeah, I don't love that quite as much, but I, I do love Miami to make the playoffs and or to just exceed eight and a half wins because winning nine games, in my opinion, does not guarantee a playoff berth in the AFC. Miami to make the playoffs plus 142. All right. So make the case for Tua because I don't see it. Yeah, I know. This is actually probably one of the things if you said I want I'm trying to look for a silver lining in the Patriots and and what they could do. I guess the number one place that the Patriots fans would point is just that they don't really believe in the Jets and they don't really believe in Tua and the Dolphins. But I am on the other side of the fence with regard to Tua and what I think that the Dolphins are going to do this season. Um, And so let's go ahead and state that case. You know, the the case for me starts and ends with um, what Tua's had to deal with thus far in his career. So rapid fire, he comes is rehabbing this catastrophic hip injury in the COVID offseason. He can't get into the facility. The offense is being designed for Ryan Fitzpatrick by a retired grandfather who then is convinced to come back to the NFL to call plays for (laughs) Ryan Fitzpatrick. They stick him in there and it's Ryan Fitzpatrick's offense. Tua is not even taking any number one uh, QB snaps in the offseason. Midway through the season, they just go to Tua. And Chan Gailey's like, this is a massive mistake. I don't know why we're going to Tua here. This offense is designed for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Forget also, for a second, Bill, right-handed versus left-handed quarterback. I mean, they don't change enough for a left-handed quarterback. Um, we're seeing a team then that goes out. Brian Flores obviously doesn't even like Tua. They're pulling Tua out in late-game situations. Why do they say they're doing that? They say they're doing that because he doesn't know the full playbook. Well, if he doesn't know the full playbook, why is he even playing in the games in the first place? Again, like why was he even being thrust into these situations? Then you go to next year, which is last season. He's finally taking first team reps all camp. He's the He has a healthy offseason for the first time, but he has no clue who his offensive coordinator is going to be even two weeks into the season. They change up their play calling duties midway, midway through the season. He suffers rib fractures at the beginning of week two. 
He misses most of that game and the next three games in which the Dolphins go 0-4 while he's out. He comes back and then he fractures the middle finger on his throwing hand in week eight. I mean, then you look at who he throws the ball to and what he's playing with. His wide receivers have the worst separation in the NFL. His pass catchers rank second worst in yards after the catch. His O-line ranks as one of the worst in the NFL in protection. His running backs rank number 30 in efficiency. What are we to expect a quarterback is going to do in this situation? If Mac Jones is in that situation and Mac Jones doesn't look perfect, you would obviously say like, well, look at all this stuff that's going on around him. He doesn't have a coordinator. He he is playing injured. Uh, he was playing in an offense designed by a grandfather who had no clue what he was doing. Like all of these things are built in excuses for any other quarterback, but people already just for whatever reason, don't think Tua can cut it, don't like Tua. Oh, he can't throw it deep enough in this situation. Uh, like, so I'm not going to like him. I think a lot of people have very preconceived notions of what Tua is not based on what they have seen these first two years and the way that Brian Flores treated him in Miami. And I just don't know that that's fair. Now, what can we expect from Mike McDaniel this year? I don't know. That's to be determined. But what I do know is this team understood what they didn't have before and went on a mission to address it this season. They got better along the offensive line. They finally will have a run game that Tua can rely on somewhat because they have better backs. They have a much better scheme and a better O-line, obviously. They finally went out and get, got receivers that can get separation, which means Tua no longer has to lead the NFL in tight window throws. He's going to be able to throw the guy, throw the ball to guys that are open. And then these guys are able to gain yards after the catch, which is something, you know, Jimmy G led the NFL over the last three years in yards per pass attempt. But he's not throwing the ball down the field. Nobody would say, oh yeah, out of 50 different quarterbacks, which one do you think led the NFL in yards per attempt? Nobody is going to say Jimmy G. It entirely came because of the yards after the catch that that offense was designed to gain. And thus, I believe that we're going to see the same type of upside to an extent for Tua with easier yards after the catch, raising and inflating his numbers across the board. Um, I don't know how easy it's going to be to transition into this offense. I don't know if it's going to look perfect week one. They play the Patriots week one. And I will tell you, Bill, that line was Miami minus three. It got bet down to New England plus two and a half. So money came in on the Patriots at plus three. But after what we just saw with the Dolphins ending their preseason and the Patriots ending their preseason, this line just this morning, Sunday morning, was slammed back to New England plus three. The Miami money came in. They didn't like what New England was doing this preseason, and they liked what the Dolphins were doing. I just think that the Dolphins have enough with an improved Tua that they're going to win at least nine games this year. Compelling case. They got they got much faster with their receivers. Armstead, if he can stay healthy, they spent a lot of money on him, but they needed the anchor. Um, I just I can't shake what I watched the last couple of years with Tua. He he it didn't feel like he could move around, and he didn't seem that accurate. And they seemed like they were really scared to put him in situations to air it out. Everything was so carefully man managed with him. And I've just watched it over the years where teams seem to be afraid of their own quarterback. They call games a certain way and it seemed like they were afraid to let him do too much. So if they're going to leash exactly, him, it, Isn't that exactly how you're describing the situation? Isn't that exactly the way that Kyle Shanahan deals with Jimmy G? 
Like they're scared to put too much on his shoulders and to get him throw. They don't have a lot of confidence in him throwing the ball down the field. So you're a saying he's these, lefty Jimmy G is your is your take here. <laughs> he's a little <laughs> bit more mobile than Jimmy G. Jimmy but he G won a lot have, of games. Yeah, J- Jimmy G has managed that offense extremely well. We've seen Kyle Shanahan splits with and without Jimmy G uh, up behind center there. it's It's been night and day. Jimmy G knows what to do. I do worry that... Uh, Tua is not going to have the quick processing decision-making and the ability to get the ball over the middle of the field as well as Jimmy G was able to do. But uh, I, well, you know I what think- I love? Schrager and I did this on Thursday. I think there's like eight or nine. You have to take a stance one way or the other. You have to point your flag on one side or the other NFL questions. And Tua is one of the best ones. There's no middle yeah. ground. Either I'm in and here are the reasons. He's finally healthy. They finally have the, like you go through the whole list or you can just go, I don't think he has it. He's he's shown nothing that he has it the last two years, and I don't see it. I am in the I don't see it camp, but I wouldn't be completely shocked if that hip injury was, you know, it took him two full years to recover. I just think he's not mobile enough to me. So if you're not mobile, you better be throwing BBs. And I just haven't seen it from him. Give me, give me your third future bet. Let's go quicker. Give me a give me a quickie one. Okay, a quickie one. Uh I went through to we hit two AFCs. Baltimore Ravens to make the playoffs. I think it's now minus 146. I just looked this morning. Um, that, so injury luck. Injury, no way it could be that luck. bad. Secondary's it, back. They're not going to have the same sack margin as last season. They're not going to yeah. be 31st and third down conversion rate in the first half. They're going to be better. Uh, they're not going to suddenly shift everything onto Lamar Jackson's yeah, plate, they, which they, is the, what they the had to do have, last year. The nerds are carrying the torches with this Baltimore case. The, the regression thing, which are they, uh, what progression? What's the opposite of regression? The reverse regression? Well, you could have positive or negative regression. Positive regression. Yeah. They, it couldn't have gone worse last year. Harbaugh trusts the process. What's Har- Harbaugh, what do they have? Like the third most wins in the last nine years? Something like that. I did the homework on this. It was... Sounds right. Yeah, something like that. They're, they're one of like five teams that have averaged at least 10 wins a game in the last nine years. And... You know, they were 50-50 and one before Lamar started for them, though? I mean, they were on the verge wow. of firing John Harbaugh. Yeah. Oh, no. They, they had 83 wins the last nine years. So the thing that worries me is something that we can't figure out. How much does the fact that Lamar's contract was not settled, how much is that going to affect this team? Combined with the fact that I would put their receivers, in the receiver tight end, I guess Andrews is their best one. People like Bateman, but the receiver tight end combos they have, I would say bottom seven. Oh bottom yeah, eight yeah. in the for, league, bottom five. Receiver alone, receiver alone, bottom five. Receiver yeah. tight end, maybe it's bottom ten. But I will tell you this: the breakout of likely is going to be massive. I'm about to do some research on the benefit of a true number two tight end for this offense. They haven't had that for several years. The last time they had it was 2019, when obviously Lamar was lighting the world on fire. If likely can actually play really well as that second tight end, that is going to be massive for them. And you're way more pro Lamar. I mean, Lamar's a little polarizing. I think most people are in to some degree. I guess I don't. I get he's burned me in playoff games, so well, he, let me he ask still you has this. to win my trust there. With regard, with regard to this season, pre- pretend you're not a Baltimore fan, which you're not, and pretend you are thinking about betting on the Ravens this season. Yeah. Do you want to have your quarterback just receive a massive bag and be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL with all this guaranteed money? Or do you want him to be on a, a deal where this is like the last season and he's trying to prove himself in order to earn that money? The proving worries me a little because 
I mean, I would say I had I did my top ten defenses. We did some ringer pods on this best offenses, best defenses. They have a top five defense. Whether you want to put them number three, number four, number five, they're somewhere in the three to five range. So for me, it's like, how can they succeed and take advantage of the stuff Lamar is good at without relying on him too much? Where it's it's almost like if they unleash him too much, he might undermine which what they should really be is like a running ball control, let the defense, great special teams. That's kind of the recipe for them this year. So I kind of don't want him to be proving why he should have a $240 million contract. Does that sound weird? It doesn't sound weird, but like they managed had the to game do for us. They had to do that last year, right? Last year, they had no running back. So they shifted from the second most run heavy offense the prior two years to yeah. the seventh most pass heavy offense. And Lamar Jackson had him in the number one seed in the AFC, despite a terrible O-line, despite, despite terrible wide receivers. The thing yep. about the defense is important because, you know, you mentioned you think they're definitely a top five defense. This year, I predict that the Ravens will play the second easiest schedule of offenses and the second easiest schedule of opposing quarterbacks. And that makes a massive difference on how good or bad your defense ends up looking. If you're playing bad quarterbacks, you have a chance to really shine defensively. I mean, last year, this team was playing Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Matthew Stafford, Derek Carr. And yeah, I know a lot of people don't like him, but Kirk Cousins, they don't have to play any of those guys this year. And the list of quarterbacks that they're playing this year, uh, Yes, there there are a couple of Josh Allen. There's a, a couple of games. Obviously, they play two games each year against Joe Burrow. Um, they play Tom Brady this year. But the list of quarterbacks that they're going to play this year that have massive question marks around them um, is pretty phenomenal. So yeah, I they think could be easily three and really good. Yeah, they could have a three and zero start. I like Cincy more, and I, I think Cincy's had a lot of continuity. Um, and is I don't I don't see the Super Bowl hangover with, over with them. I actually feel like they shouldn't have done as well as they did last year, and this should have been the year. But a couple things happened. All of a sudden, they're in the Super Bowl and came, you know, within a drive of potentially stealing the Super Bowl. I like that team. Burrow two years now since the surgery. The Chase Mixon combo, that's about as good as you're doing with a one running back wide receiver combo in the league this year. And I have Burroughs, the top five, top six, whatever. Um, I just like them. I, I think it's weird that they're over under is nine and a half for wins. It's like people are now pricing in the Super Bowl hangover. And I, to me, it's like that, that feels a little gimmicky to me. I like them to go at least 10 and seven. Well, I wanted them. I wanted to bet against this team as soon as the Super Bowl ended. And then I looked at their schedule for this season. And then yep. I looked at what they did with free agents, more importantly, and who they added to that team. I was like, eh. This is a much harder schedule, but they got better where they needed to, which is along that line. Joe Burrow taking a record number of hits um, and still delivering last season and hanging in there. Uh, if he is healthy this season, which is what this team really comes down to. Um, and the O-line's really, better. And he's on a rookie contract. Better. They're able to spend the money elsewhere. Like there's a lot of breadcrumbs here for them to be an 11 and 6, 12 and 5 type team. Yeah, I, I can't disagree. I wasn't, they're, they're not a team I've bet against or bet on at all this offseason. Um, mm. I also think that their defense is quietly underrated. Uh, I study defense a lot yep. and especially adjustments that get made. And in the second half of games down the stretch, Lou Amarillo made some massive defensive changes and tweaks with the way that they were playing and really caught a lot of teams off guard. May not have that same advantage heading into this season, but I like guys that think outside the box a little bit. 
And I think they've got enough pieces there to be able to be a, still a very good defense. I have them in the top 10, somewhere in like the eight to 10 range in, a, in the Denver, Denver Buffalo group. They're somewhere, somewhere in there because of what you said, like over and over again, they were able to get stops when they really, really needed them in the playoffs and they haven't really lost anybody. Um, I like Cincy. Uh, all right, we're gonna take a break and come back and do some more futures. Kickoff week one with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Join today to get started with $150 in free bets. Guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet, sign up with promo code BS to get in on the action. Then you can turn game day into payday all season long. We're about to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and some of their future bets. You get a little frisky, pull a little $5 on the Eagles, 16 to one to be the one seed in the NFC. And then you'll get more free bets after that. Play your way, bet on more than just the final score. Wager on everything from touchdowns to total yards to catches. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. Don't fumble your chance to get $150 in free bets. Win or lose with promo code BS. Make every moment more. With FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL, must be 21 plus in select states. First, online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Connecticut, 888-789-777. In Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER. In Michigan, 800-270-7117. 1-877-770-STOP. In Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Tennessee red line is 800-889-9789. And in West Virginia, 1800gambler.net. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? little doubleheader, little NBA doubleheader. Right, first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, let's go. Give me uh, give me two more quickies. The, well, these are these are two that are kind of intertwined. Dallas Cowboys under 10 and a half wins, Philadelphia Eagles to win the NFC East. So, so now this is too late because this was the bet a month ago, but now it feels like it's shifted to that bet. You, you know what? You know what's hilarious? This was one of my strongest bets two, three months ago. It was. And we it, were on the, text the, with House. I remember. Yeah, the, the line has moved 20 cents. I still think Dallas under 10 and a half at minus 145 has value. I still think the Philadelphia Eagles to win the NFC East at plus 155 has value. Think of it this way. A plus 190 intimates a 35% chance that you're going to win the division. Plus 155 is 39% chance likely. I mean, this is more than a 4% move to me. Everything that's happened this offseason with regard to the Dallas Cowboys. 
I didn't like them even when they had Tyron Smith in there. But after I dug into what this team was losing when they lost Tyron Smith, it is massive. Bill, the difference between their rushing efficiency on early downs in the first three quarters of games, which is what I always tend to focus on because that's more predictive than fourth quarters or third downs. So I strip those out. I look at early downs in the first three quarters. Over the last three years, when Smith is on the field, this these running backs, ranked number one in EPA per rushing attempt. When he is not on the field, they've ranked number 31 in EPA per rushing attempt. I mean, we're moving from almost the best to the worst rushing offense in the NFL on these predictive early downs in the first three quarters when Smith is there versus when he is not. The impact that he brings to the passing game as well. When he's on the field, they rank number nine in first down passing efficiency. When he's not on the field, they rank number 30. Dak is worse when he's blitzed without uh, Smith. Dak is worse versus main coverage without Smith. Like there are so many different things that you can factor in. When they used Connor McGovern out on the field last year, when he had to fill in, this team shifted from plus 0.21 EPA per attempt when Connor was off the field to minus 0.03 EPA per attempt when Connor was on the field. Now this guy's going to have to start for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and the rest of their line isn't great. We still haven't even talked about all the other things about their relying on Zeke, about their wide receivers going down, about the wide receiver core not being as strong to begin with, and about all those defensive turnovers that are highly unlikely to be repeated this upcoming season. I just think that this team is going to struggle compared to their current expectations. And if they won 11 to 12 games, Against this schedule with this current roster and that coaching staff, I just would be shocked. So I, I like them under. FanDuel, there's been a ton of action on the under. They are, it's 10 and a half still, which I think is crazy. It's minus 145. Yep. I'll go further. You made the case and you've been a, you've been on this all summer. I think when Smith went down, the Eagles should have become the favorites. Agreed. Because Dallas was a little top heavy anyway. I, I still have real... I really like C.D. Lamb. I think he's excellent. But people are acting like he's, like now that Cooper's gone, that he's just going to come in and be Chase or Jefferson. Like he's certainly being treated that way in fantasy. Like he's a top 15 fantasy guy. I really like him. We still haven't seen it. We haven't seen it from a durability standpoint, all that stuff. The the rushing, whatever happened to Zeke last year, I know he was injured, but now you laid out the case. Their offensive line is going to be now like convincingly below average. I didn't love what I saw from Dak last year either. I still, we always talk about this, but Dak versus Kirk Cousins, I still don't really see a difference. And I think Philly's better. I just, well, and look at, look, look at Philly, yes. Bill. Look at Philly when this team last season, okay, obviously we know Jalen Hurts has played a little bit of 2020 and then all of 2021. In 2021, his top three wide receivers, a true rookie in Devonta Smith, a tight end, and a sixth rounder in year two named Quez Watkins. Those were his top three receivers in 2021. In 2020, this, this is based upon targets. In 2020, the top three targets, Greg Ward was number one, an undrafted former college quarterback. Number two was a 30-year-old Zach Ertz. And number three was Travis Fulgham, who is a sixth rounder who's now bounced around the NFL. Now you stick on this team, A.J. Brown, and just with the gravity that A.J. Brown is going to command out on the field with how defenses now have to play a true number one receiver, it's going to open up even more for the run game and the pass game for the Eagles. We know that this coaching staff was very... <laughs> uh, 
felt really good about changing up their scheme and went from the most pass heavy, third most pass heavy team in the NFL, the first six weeks to one of the most run heavy teams in the NFL down the stretch. And if they're, if they're nimble on their toes and can pivot and change things up to see to what the strength of the team is at that time, um, I think that the coaching's going to be good enough. The roster is going to be good enough. And now you have a real number one there that's going to help the quarterback even more and open things up further in the run game. I, I just think that this, this is a two horse race. I know it's going to make house sad that we're not including the commanders in this, uh, but this division to me, it's a two horse race. And I agree. I think the Philadelphia Eagles do deserve to be favored over what Dallas Cowboys have become. And so 39% chance to win the division. I think it should be higher than that. Joe House has joined us. He didn't want to be left out. And I'm glad he joined us at this specific time because you made some Philly bets, mostly on Sharp's behest a couple months ago. And I, House, I just said how I think they should be favored in the division now. And I agree with Sharp. Even if you're getting them, you know, somewhere plus 145, plus 150, whatever, um, I still like it because I, I think they should be like minus 120, minus 130. What'd you get them at, House? Oh, plus odds across the board. Again, because we bet them so early, anticipating some regression out of the, the Cowboys and then the direction that the Cowboys have proceeded throughout this preseason between the continued uh, lack of competency at the top and, yeah. and the injuries. But I yeah, just we didn't want- even, we, Sharp, we didn't even mention McCarthy. Like he, he's actually more likely to be first coach fired than to make the playoffs. Oh, we have yes. that. That's one of House's bets. One of my favorite bets. Yeah, so uh, Philly is plus 155. I did, I didn't even tell you about this house. I did this whole, I, I did this whole crazy elite player ranking thing that I tried to come up with some sort of scoring system to just see like which teams had the best players. I was shocked by how high Philly ranked from like an above average talent thing. Like they have like, I don't know, 10 to 12 guys that you would either call elite or like right on the level below elite especially like both lines. And the, the question for me is Hertz. Hertz's stats weren't terrible last year. He was terrible in the playoff game. And I think that left a little bit of a skunky smell for all of us. But House, I'm going to read you some bets. And you tell me if you get excited about any of these. These are Philly bets, by the way. Philly to be the number one seed in the NFC. 16 to one. Eh, no? Uh, I, don't, I mean... Sharp, who would you, if you had gone to your head, who's your number one seed in the NFC right now? Is it Green Bay? Is like the chalk pick? To me, I would probably go Green Bay, but this is the exact conference one. where I'm betting, where I bet a bunch of long shots. And actually, as soon as I saw uh, Tyron Smith go down at like 12.30 a.m. and 1 a.m., I was working with my guys on the West Coast and we were jamming up. We were buying in all the Eagles to win uh, the NFC East at plus 170. And we're also betting all of these futures, like you just mentioned, Eagles to be the number one seed in the NFC, Eagles to um, to uh, win the NFC, just because their path has now gotten easier. The Eagles have had success against House's commanders. The Eagles have had success against the Giants. The one team in the NFC East that the Eagles have struggled against consistently has been the Dallas Cowboys. And if this Dallas Cowboys version is markedly worse than what it's been in the past and this Eagles version is better and they can finally get over that hill and w split or maybe sweep the Dallas Cowboys this season, it's going to go a long way to their ability to get a better playoff seed and have an easier road in the NFC playoff. Well, 
we see this all the time, right? Tennessee was the number one seed in the AFC last year. And all of us were like, how the hell did that happen? I look at like on FanDuel, Tampa's three to one. I haven't liked anything I've seen from Tampa. Like Brady just disappeared for 10 days. He's 45 years old. Their offensive line is a mess. Like, I don't know when Godwin's going to be hundred percent. That team makes me nervous. Dallas is second with odds with five to one, which is just complete insanity. Packers are five to one. Rams plus 650. Schrager and I covered the case that there might be a little hangover stuff with them. Niners nine to one. That's like, you better really believe in Trey Lance if you like that one. But I don't mind those odds. Arizona 13 to one. Get them out. Minnesota 15 to one. Mildly intriguing if there's some Packers regression. And then Philly 16 to one. Saints 21 to one. House, you like out of all those, what, which one do you like? Well, now that you went through it in that way, I really love that that Eagles odds. I didn't realize some of those teams that were ahead of them. This isn't something that I'd looked at or, or bet on in, in a futures uh, uh, perspective. But yeah, that that Eagles price now, when you say it that way, is, is a great price. I'm on San Francisco. I like San Francisco mm. this year. I mean, I'm not against you, it. You understand exactly what you're walking yourself into with Trey Lance. It's it's uh, you know, it, it's a risk proposition. But if you believe in Shanahan and you believe in, um, you know, their talent on both sides of the ball, I'd be interested in hearing how your elite position ranking fares when it, when you apply it to San Francisco. I think they have enough talent on both sides. And I really believe in Shanahan's ability to maximize. See, I go back to my RG3 days. I saw what Kyle Shanahan mm. did with RG3, a, a quarterback that that can be mobile. And we're not going to be doing run-pass options in San Francisco, I don't think. But I do love the idea that that Trey Lance might be running with the football, and it just creates such a a, a confusion element for the defense. That's why San Francisco, I, I like the, sort of the best out of those uh, contenders. Sharp made the case. Sharp made the case a little bit earlier before he came on about how good Shanahan was with Jimmy G, being very careful about how he managed him, and that's the case for the Niners, right? Go ahead, Sharp. Yeah, I mean, remember RG3 House, week one of the 2012 season, I think it was, they were large dogs in New Orleans, in the Dome, week one of the season, and they put up 40 points, and Washington Redskins at that time won the game outright, and it was like, whoa, here's this new quarterback, we're not sure what we we're going to get this this kid out of Baylor, and all of a sudden, he looked tremendous. And I'm not necessarily saying that Trey Lance is going to do that. Trey Lance opens up a lot of different doors, though, for Kyle Shanahan with how he calls his offense that Jimmy G couldn't do. And there are things that are going to be limiting by with Trey Lance that Jimmy G could do better that he's not going to be able to do as well with Trey Lance. But there are so many other things that this offense can now do that are going to make defenses have to study even harder, in my opinion, for how to stop this offense now. I think their defense is tremendous. Um, and they are a team that I was waiting to try to figure out how they're going to look in the preseason, how Trey Lance was going to look in the preseason and what was going to happen here. But, but certainly they're a team that I was looking to back in the NFC as one of those teams that weren't in the top three, uh, but I think do have a good shot of, of potentially putting together a very nice season. Can we go back to the Philly for a second? Here's their schedule. First 10 weeks at Detroit, week one, Minnesota, at Washington, Jacksonville, at Arizona, no Hopkins, Dallas home, Pittsburgh home, at Houston, home Washington, at Indianapolis, week 11, 
That might be the easiest first 11 games anyone in the league has. They don't have, if you go through those first 11, they don't, their hardest game is probably at Indianapolis in week 11. And we don't even know what Indianapolis is going to be like. Then it gets a little harder down the stretch. But I think that number one seed bet, that 16 to one, I'm with you, Sharp. If I'm doing futures, I'm done with the futures unless I, you know, I'm parlaying division things or something like that. I want like real odds with the futures. 16 to one for Philly feels like a, feels like a decent one. I had a couple Super Bowl bets for you guys too, by the way. Oh, Philly over 10 and a half wins, which is a little bit of an alternate prop on FanDuel, plus 140. House. I'm joining that one. KC, Philly, Super Bowl. What do you think the odds are? Ooh. Uh, 25 to one? How about 95 to one? What? This is on FanDuel. Casey to beat Philadelphia in the Super Bowl is 140 to one. Mahomes versus Jalen Hurts. So if you're going to bet the 95 to one, you might as well bet KC because they'll be like six point favorites. The uh, Cincy to play Philly in the Super Bowl. Sharp, what do you think those odds are? A Bengals-Eagles Super Bowl. Oh, well, uh, 115. 180 to one. Chargers Philly, 130 to one. Buffalo Philly, 70 to one. I don't know, man. That's a lot of market disrespect for Philly, it seems. But the thing is, all right, let's talk this out. You're betting on Jalen Hurts, which I think makes all of us nervous. But if they get the one seed, I feel like the one seed has to be the piece of this. If the one seed now, I I don't have to play in in round one. I have a home game round two, home game round three. Cold weather. I just need to win two games and I make it. I'm home for both of them. And I'm going against who? who is the scariest NFC team. There is none. Unless, Sharp, where do you stand on Green Bay? Because that's the upside team here. Because the defense, two really good running backs, and then the wide receivers are the hmm car. But they've had the success the last couple of years. And there's the case for Green Bay is just like bet on the pedigree. The defense is going to be there. Probably a bad division unless Minnesota shows us something. And just that's the safe pick. So where do you stand? Uh, There's no value in the futures market for me on the Packers, but are they likely to win? Like you asked me who I think will win the NFC if I just had to pick a team. I went with the Green Bay Packers. Pedigree is a large part of it. Coach this won 13 games in a row for three straight years since he came to the NFL, though he does have his flaws, still obviously very capable. And Aaron Rodgers is still actually playing pretty good football right now. So making good decisions, helping out his receivers. So I I still think that they are the team to beat in the NFC. Um, But the Eagles, to your point earlier, the Eagles get to play Green Bay at home in Mm. Philly. Um, The Eagles get to host a week 17 game against the Saints. That's a dome team playing in Philly. Uh, they get to go, they go on the road against some teams that they should be able to beat. And then if Dallas does not have Tyron Smith back for that week 16 game, uh, which, you know, Jerry came out, initial reports were, well, he might be back in December. Well, then Jerry came out and said something like, we think he'll be back by the time we would play the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs again, which is like mid-January. So he might not even be playing in mid-December when they're going to face the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, when Dallas is playing the Eagles. I also bet Philly to have the best record in the NFL at 25 to one because of this easy schedule that they play. And because I think the AFC, there's going to be some cannibalism going on in that conference. 
within those teams. And it's going to be hard for one of those teams to emerge with 14, 15 wins. And thus, the Eagles might be able to get it done. Well, and then the other thing with the Eagles, I always like teams that crush the draft where you get just like, if you can get one or two extra rookies. And in the Eagles case, A.J. Brown, I'm counting as a draft pick, right? Because they traded draft capital for him. And then the the defensive lineman they took, by all accounts, seems Jordan Davis seems like he's going to be one of the top five players from that draft. And they just completely lucked out that he fell to them where he did. So even just getting two guys that are elite guys, potentially, that they didn't have last year, it didn't seem like they really lost anybody substantial. And then you get another year of Jalen Hurts, another year of Sirianni. The Ringers launching a Philly sports podcast right before the season. I don't know if that, does that help them house or does it hurt them? I, I don't know. I, I I feel like I don't want to jinx it. So I don't know. I like Philly house. What is, out of care, Sharp's got a couple futures lists to give us, but what is your, your favorite bet of the summer? The one that you kept texting about was Philly to win the division, right? So what's your second favorite bet? Um, I have the Saints and it's the, you know, the Saints win total, the Saints to win the division. And that's, it's just the value, you know, getting close to four to one odds for them to win the division when I, when I was able to play it and it was plus odds to get them on their over when I played it, it's not plus odds any longer on their over, but, um, you know, I, I think there's reasonable continuity. It's not like you say, oh, my God, Dennis Allen, he's, he's going to blow us away. Uh, you know, it's an incredible change of coach. But what it is is continuity. Um, and, you know, I think that it, it's essentially if they all believed in what Sean Payton instilled and they're able to run that through, we don't have an answer to Kamara. And if Kamara's a- available and able to play, I like the weapons. Michael Thomas is going to play football for the first time in two years. That defense was stout and they own Tampa. So, you know, it it doesn't because of the injuries that Tampa has already experienced. It doesn't take too much more in terms of additional like misfortune to befall Tampa for the Saints to be in in, in a good position. So I, I like the Saints a lot. Where do you stand sharp? Well, I will say the uh, the Sharps did bet the Saints plus three and a half in week two against Tampa already. Um, so Ooh. that they have lines open for week two and they it was three and a half. The game is in New Orleans. They bet Tampa plus three and a half. It's down to three at pretty much most every spot now. Um, we have Saints to make the playoffs is plus 118, which I was shocked given how weak the NFC is that they were plus odds. I was surprised by that. But it doesn't seem like you were. No, th- th- this has definitely been a buy-on team from the Sharper betting groups all offseason. So House is in some good company there. Um, you look around the division, and th- this is where you start and end. Like a lot of these conversations, if one team's going to be better, the other's going to be worse. Like when we were talking about the 49ers, the 49ers have owned the Rams. The 49ers have done okay against the Cardinals, but the 49ers have not been able to get by the Seahawks. Well, all of a sudden, now you take Russ away from Seattle. That's going to help the 49ers a ton. The, the Saints have owned the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So if the Panthers aren't quite as good and and uh, if the Falcons are worse, then like this is going to be benefit, beneficial for the Saints if they can stay as consistently good against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for them to have some success. They do have a very difficult schedule, in my opinion, with some of these non-conference games and, and non-division games that they're going to play. Uh, and I don't love the fact that Trevor Penning just injured his toe and, and is going to be out for a little while. Uh, that just happened in the last preseason game. But I think that this is a team that is 
justifiable to be a buy on team. How's DC parallels between Dennis Allen taking over for Sean Payton and Chris Conway taking over Grantland? <laughs> no, no I, I feel I, like I shouldn't say anything. Yeah. Sure. Sharp, sharp. Dennis you, Allen uh, is the guy. Dennis Allen to me is a guy. I've seen him without his hat on. I have no idea who that guy is. I recognize him right away every time he wears his hat on the sidelines. But if that guy takes off his hat, I have no clue who that guy is. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. But Sharp, you were doing pretty heavy in the football scene when he was the Raiders coach. He was abysmal. Yeah, he I was I mean, terrible. he was like truly terrible. I, I don't know what's changed. Like some people are just supposed to be defensive coordinators. And we have I, no clue what Pete Carmichael is going to do when he has to be the man and make adjustments. He was good in the limited times and opportunities that he had when Sean Payton missed a game or hurt himself or things of that nature. Uh, but doing this for 17 games this season is going to be interesting to see how much Sean Payton was actually driving that ship as opposed to what Pete Carmichael learned from him and then can take over from the passenger seat. Let's take a break and I'm going to give you my favorite division long shot bet. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by Peloton Spring the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. You're going to start wearing shorts. You're going to start wearing bathing suits. You're, just, you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside. Do stuff. Or you don't have time to get outside. I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, Full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. All right, coming back, we're talking about the Saints. We've mentioned the Bucks a little bit. The Carolina Panthers, a team that's just been dismissed. But if you actually look at the roster, they have some good players, right? They have like seven, eight legitimately good players. Pretty easy schedule. The questions are Baker, A. Well, Baker made round two of the playoffs two years ago. It's not like he's a complete schmuck. Um, that division, they're 15 to one when the NFC South. So you're like, all right, what would have to happen for a 15 to one to hit as a thing. Well, you need the Tampa thing would just have to go crazy. Conceivable. The Saints thing, you got Dennis Allen and Jameis Winston as your coach QB combo. Just on paper, if I'm just levitating above that, it's like, all right, Dennis Allen, Jameis Winston, that's a 500 team. 
So is there, Sharp, is there any path for the Panthers to sneak out like a 10 and seven? McCaffrey stays healthy, 17 weeks in. Baker, chip on his shoulder, better than people think. Matt Rule is going to get fired unless this team makes the playoffs. They have some good players. They had a good draft. Is that there any path at all? Well, there, yeah, there's, there's always, a, in my opinion, this team is not bad enough where they're, it's inconceivable that something like that couldn't happen. And so the price that you're setting means that there's low odds for you to have to get there. They get, they draw the Cleveland Browns at the right time, week one, right? That's, that's great for them to get that. And as you mentioned, these other teams in their division are problematic, but they're going to have to fare reasonably well enough in some of these very difficult road games. They're playing. Well, wait, hold on. Can we do their first five and then you do the road games? Yeah. First five, Jacoby Brissett in Cleveland, week one. Week two, at the Giants. Week three, home New Orleans. Week four, home Arizona, no Hopkins. Week five, San Francisco at home. I Conceivably, it's not crazy to think that's a four and one. If And then some momentum, and then we see it every year. There's always the one team who's like, whoa, Panthers, five and oh, who saw this coming? If we're just trying to figure out who's the who saw this coming team, I think they're one of the safest bets. Their over-under is only six and a half. Anyway, go, go into when their schedule gets harder. Yeah, well, it's just all these road games exactly occurring after you get past week five. They have to go to the Rams and take on the Rams. They have to go to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. They have to go to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. And then late in the season, they're going to the Bucks to take on the Bucks. I mean, these are four teams that five teams that should be able to amount good playoff runs this season, if not go deep into the playoffs. So, yeah, you could still have a really good season if you lose all five of those games. Um, but, and, and I love that stretch after their bye where it's Seattle, Pittsburgh, and Detroit. I mean, three teams that are not supposed to have winning records this season, but I just think that overall it's going to be a challenge, but Hey, if you like backing underdogs and you like backing things that aren't likely to happen often, but if they do, you'll feel really good about what you won and being able to say, look, nobody else was on this team except for me. That's a team that you could get behind. House, if I, I just, gave you uh, this team started three and oh last season, yeah, and it was like, okay, you know, I was trying to say, Matt Rule, let's go coach of the year. I'll, and 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 of course, like everything cut up with them when we realized like that was against three horrible teams with horrible quarterbacks, and now they're actually playing some difficult teams. I don't have much confidence in Ben Backadoo to call plays for Baker. Baker is an upgrade over Sam Darnold. I mean, that yeah. is quite obvious, quite clear. Um, but I just don't know that I love Matt Rule and Ben McAdoo, that combination. House, if I gave you Carolina at 15 to 1 to win their division or Jacksonville plus 750 in the AFC South, which one makes your nipples harder? M- much, 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 much prefer Carolina. Um, and, you know, to the point that, that um, Sharp just made, they came out, you know, I had a Carolina over last year, and I don't remember what that number was. It was a pretty modest number. Um, they started off, their defense was very good. Their defense was like top five across the board and all the metrics. Then Their defense is still good, still top half of the league, front seven and, and secondary. But um, their secondary especially was shutting teams down. Now, the reason is because we, we came to understand and appreciate they were playing bad quarterbacks to start the season. But, um, you know, there, there isn't... They, they, I agree with the idea that they have talent. They just have to stay healthy. They got walloped in the secondary last year at exactly the wrong time, and they went on a losing streak, and that was it yeah. for everything. Um, Sharp, give us another future bet. Okay, I've, this is the last one for teams, and then I got like four different player bets. 
Great. I like the Minnesota Vikings to make the playoffs. Mm. Uh, you mentioned, could this team, could Minnesota take a step forward? I do believe that they will take a step forward. Me Addition too. by subtraction, uh, getting rid of their prior head coach, Mike Zimmer, moving towards the the modern day football era where we're going to be passing the ball more on early downs, which helps our quarterback. You look at the numbers and the splits, Kirk Cousins in the second half of games, Kirk Cousins when he's trailing. The numbers are great, but yet they weren't doing that early on. And it was kind of like, are, are they comfortable? Do they not want to get him involved? Why are they not passing the football early? Why are they sticking with the run? This team was the number four most run heavy team on early downs in the first three quarters of games. And it was because this team just simply wanted to keep their defense rested and healthy. That's not the way that you actually win games. Here's a crazy statistic on Kirk Cousins for all the haters out there. Over the last two years, out of 61 quarterbacks, he is the only one to rank top 10 in yards per attempt, EPA, and accuracy. The yeah. only one. Kirk! The only one. My so guy! I, th I, think, I think this defense, the other thing, the two factors here are the style of the offense is going to be different. Kirk is obviously, in my opinion, capable of doing enough. I know big games, whatever you want to say your thing. Okay, fine. Whatever. Kirk Cousins is capable enough, in my opinion, of taking this team to the postseason in a weaker NFC. And then secondly, it's their defense. The defense is going to have an easier schedule. Last year, they played the number two toughest schedule of offenses and the number three toughest schedule of quarterbacks. This year, I think they're going to face the number 21 schedule of overall offenses and passing offenses. It's the fourth biggest shift in terms of ease of schedule. And also the other thing I think people forget about this Minnesota Vikings team, maybe it factors into week one too. We'll see their home field advantage. This team has the best ATS in the NFL thanks to their home field advantage since 2014 when they built that stadium and moved into there. And we did not see that at all in 2020 because there were no crowds. And last season, the NFC teams played an extra road game instead of a home game. So we saw it slightly less. This season, they get an extra home game in that stadium, crowds at full capacity. Um, I think that coupled with the coaching staff, coupled with the easy schedule of defense of offenses for their defense to face will make the Minnesota Vikings a team that can get to the postseason. And, and that's a, a we bet it at plus odds, but it's still at minus 105. And I think that's still a good bet. I like to make the playoffs. They play the AFC East and the NFC East this year. It's funny. They play home Green Bay week one at Philly week two on a Monday night. They could be 0-2 coming out of those two games. And I still kind of like them to make the playoffs. And, they, and every year there's the 0-2 team that turns it around. House, Kirk Cousins, you like that? You like that? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all over Minnesota as well. I, I mm. have their over. I have them to win the division. Um, I think that Kevin O'Connell is going to be uh, transcendent. And it's very weird to say that a whole season could depend on, on week one. I get how stupid that is. I really think that they intend to come out and beat the crap out of Green Bay in week one. I lay the SmackDown game. I really do think that, I mean, I'm, I'm already on that game. I played it. It's in teasers. I, I got the money line. Oh, no. I've got Minnesota. <laughs> Sharp told you not to do teasers. He's told no, me for two it. years. Minnesota, it was a great number there. They're, you go from plus two or plus two and a half through the three, through the seven. It's a warm teaser. It is teaser. a great teaser. It is, a, a, it is a, it is a strategic teaser for week one. It's a good leg, in my opinion. I can't fault him. So here's another thing for Minnesota. So I... I before you got on house, I did the AFC playoff teams I thought would make it. And there's one spot open in the NFC. I have Philly, I have Minnesota and green Bay. 
I have whoever wins the NFC South and I have San Francisco and the Rams. That's six. I think Minnesota, I would have them ranked five or six out of the six I feel best about. I have no idea who the seventh NFC team is. That's why I was like, is it, is it, could it be Carolina? I don't like Arizona at all. I don't like the Giants or Washington. Um, I, I don't like Detroit. Chicago is going to be a mess. We'll talk about them for worst record in a second. New Orleans, maybe. New Orleans a nine and eight. I guess that's who it, at gunpoint, I guess I would take New Orleans. Who do you have as the seventh playoff team? If Sharp, if you have two NFC North teams, two NFC West teams, is it Dallas at nine and eight or eight and nine? Could we get an eight and nine NFC playoff team? I think Dallas, as much as I dislike them this season, could still slip in there, could still win nine games. They go under 10 and a half with ease uh, and make some noise. Yeah, uh, they, they still are a sound enough football team that I don't think that they're going to fall to like uh, depths where they're not going to be in playoff contention late. I, I can't argue with the Saints being tossed around in there. The Cardinals are still a decent team. I have sold them big time. They were like one of my strongest under bets this mm. offseason months ago. The line has shifted too much to even discuss right now as, as a value. Um, and of course, did you mention the 49ers? That, that was a team yeah, that 49ers was in there for in you? There. Okay. There's some, yeah. I, I really wanted to talk myself into Seattle as an out-of-nowhere team, but Mina Kimes and Danny Kelly just throw their bodies in front of it. They said no. Yeah. It's not happening. They're they're, what, they're, no. they're among my favorite worst NFL record bets, Seattle. Well, let's talk about that quick before Sharp does the player props. I have Bears plus 750 for a worst record. I think just for the value, the odds, I think they're going to be terrible. Their offense, I don't know how they're going to... I think they're going to be the team where just anytime they play a good defense, you just have to go, how are they going to score more than 10 points? I don't see it. They have, other than Mooney... And I don't even love Mooney, but you would say they probably have the worst receivers in the league, or if they don't, they're in the top three. Running backs, mediocre. No offensive line. Um, new coaching staff again. I just don't see a path for them to do better than like four and 13. So I have I have them as like the best value. Who do you have for worst record, Sharp? I did not bet this market, but I certainly think the Seahawks are... A Seahawks. team in prime contention for that. I think the Seahawks, the Bears and the Falcons are interesting. Seattle is different in a different category to me because Seattle needs to reset massively with yep. everything that they're doing and they should be incentivized to lose games. The Bears are a team that will struggle due to talent but they already have their quarterback and they need to be trying to put him in positions to win and have success with every ounce of their being to not give him a, a horrible experience in his second year as a starter. I think Arthur Smith has a lot to prove in year two coaching the Falcons. And I think Desmond Ritter could show some some sneaky upside if he mm. does get inserted in there for Marcus Mariota. Um, you know, there are a lot of teams in the league that are going to struggle. Um, I, I think the Jets are still going to have some problems. I think the Texans are going to be a little bit more feisty than people think, but they Me do too. have some limitations. Um, so, well, wait, yeah. hold on. You talked about Seattle. They're plus set. So, in the unfanduel, Houston's plus three fifty for worst record. Atlanta's four to one. Seattle is plus seven fifty. Uh, the Bears have been bet down as plus seven fifty. They started at ten to one. If Seattle gets Jimmy G which Mike Lombardi on his podcast this week was saying he he feels like they are the overwhelming favorite because everybody knows the Niners have to cut 
Jimmy G. And Lombardi laid out a case on his podcast that they're waiting until the last possible second because they have to play Seattle in week two. And the longer they wait, if they feel like Seattle's the team he's going to go to, they just want to make it as late as possible before. He, so he has as little prep time as possible for that week two game. If Seattle got Jimmy G as their QB, would that cross them off for you as the worst record team, Sharp? It would, because I do think he's a he's a definite upgrade over what they have right now. Here's my only question, though. I, I get it. it. What I'm going to propose makes absolutely no sense financially. But the 49ers are already under the cap right now. Why why do they have to cut Jimmy G? Like this because, is a team that's built because if you're going to turn the team over to Trey Lance, you got to turn the team over to Trey Lance. You can't have the old guy. The Pats went through this with Mac and Cam Newton last year. If you know Trey is the guy, you got to get the other guy out because he's going to have his supporters in the room. What if Trey the first game he goes 9 for 30? You know, and then it's like, oh, let's go to Jimmy G's right there. And then, yeah, I don't feel like you can open that. Do you agree with that house? No, I'm with Sharp. I actually think that you, they should sit on them. They're, they're under the cap. Interesting. And it's an insurance policy. What we know in the NFL is starting quarterbacks get hurt. By week eight, half the league has their backup quarterbacks playing meaningful games. Yeah. So, you know, if they have among the very best backup quarterbacks. I have Gardner Minshew as the number one backup quarterback in the entire NFL. And in our hearts. Obviously. Yeah. I, obviously. But Jimmy G has an insurance policy there. That team wants to go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. And having two legitimate, viable quarterbacks is a key element of that. The good thing I think that the team has done is they've made it crystal clear that Trey is their guy. And every opportunity they get to say Trey is the guy and Jimmy's done a good job of sitting back. The one thing, though, that's been weird that I could see as a reason to move on from him is like Jimmy's been quite distant and not around and not part like they've been keeping him out of the room, supposedly like they've been because they they know that they're probably going to get rid of him. I think he's gone. And I think he he goes to Seattle or Pittsburgh and it doesn't seem like Pittsburgh's that interested. Uh, I'm I'm in on Bears plus 750. The only thing that worries me a little bit is it looks like they did well with their draft on defense. They got three guys in the draft that I think um, look like they're going to start for them. And like one of them was a fifth round pick. And it just looks like they have a little momentum there. But offensively, I think they're abysmal. Sharp, give us your uh, favorite player props. Let's hear them. Okay. And so, then I'm going to give you one in house. Do you have a favorite player prop? Of course. It involves okay. Carson Wentz. Okay. <laughs> there you go. What do you got, Sharp? All right. I got... I got four. The first one is Trevor Lawrence to throw less than 14 and a half interceptions. You can get that at minus Ooh. 110 I've seen out there. Um, this is just Doug Peterson in Philly, which is five seasons, spanning the Carson Wentz era. His teams went over 14 and a half interceptions only one time in those five years. His teams in total. Lawrence is shifting from facing the NFL's number seven schedule of pass defenses to the number 31 schedule of pass defenses. And I think this team's going to be in slightly better game script situation. So he's not going to have to force the ball as much. They also probably are going to have a higher pass rate on first down, which means that a higher percentage of his passes are going to be thrown when the defense is expecting run. Hopefully they'll try to stay out of third downs. He's uh, got Etienne as a little, little outlet on third downs yeah. and stuff like that. I saw his so 30, he, he threw 30 17 plus touchdowns. last year. Oh yeah. It's 17 picks. 30 plus touchdowns for him is plus 390 on FanDuel. I was checking that out. Hmm. 30's a lot. I mean, only like eight guys got the 30 last year, but I don't know. Could they unleash Lawrence? I, 
I'm in. I'm in on his rookie cards. I'm in on the Lawrence comeback year. And I think we're going to look back at that Urban Meyer season as like a documentary. Like, honestly, I think that's going <laughs> to yeah. be like a 30 for 30 or or the Netflix yeah. Untold. What was that? Manti Teo? That's that series, Untold. I could see like the Urban Meyer, Jacksonville, Untold. There's got to be. There, there's got to be. There's too much good content that could come out of it for there not to be a documentary on that. House, you like that uh, That under for Lawrence Interceptions? I'm sorry. I do. I do. Yeah, that's a good I, one. Okay. What do you got next? You ready show? for number two? Yeah. Number two is Najee Harris rushing yards under 1150 minus 115. Solak um, likes this too. Solak likes it. Okay. Then, yeah, because they're good. No offensive line, right? Yeah. No, no offensive line. And here's the thing Najee Harris ranked. 43 out of 43 running backs in yards before contact per rush last season. He, it, and that's because the offensive line can't do anything. And the scary part about it was they faced seven plus man boxes, which is heavy boxes, loaded boxes, only 53% of the time. The league average is 73% of the time. They faced it at the third lowest rate, yet the, as a team, they ranked third worst in yards before contact per rush. Those things should not be lining up like that. If you're not going to face very heavy boxes, you should be able to get more yards before contact because there's not as many defenders there for your O-line to block. But the Steelers couldn't block even light boxes at the third lowest rate, third highest rate of light boxes. How are they going to do this year when they're passing the ball less with a worse quarterback and defenses are now trying to play the run instead of the short pass? I just think it's problematic. He was healthy last season. He played great. They relied on him to do all the carries. I think they're going to split it up a little bit more this season. And I think they're going to probably not have as much efficiency and going to go up against many more heavy boxes this year than last year. And injury factor too. You like that one, House? Yep, I do. Of course. You know, in general, I mean, we know this every year, but just betting under on player props is usually the road home because they're always skewed because everybody likes going over. And I would love to see an experiment. House, maybe you're the one who should do it. Just somebody betting 25 player unders. I feel like you would go like 15 and 10. Nobody wants to do it. It's like anti-American and just be like, I am rooting for failure. But I'm willing to do it. Can I borrow some money? <laughs> All right. We'll talk after. Okay, What's your great. next player prop, Sharp? <laughs> okay. The next one is another under. I do have one over, but this one's another under. And this is Brees Hall rushing yards under 830 and a half. Mm. Um, look, it's, it's, it's been bet down, but it's been at 830 for like three weeks now. And I do not like what I see out of Brees Hall. Uh, he's averaging minus 0.37 EPA per rushing attempt. He gained in the preseason 2.1 yards per carry. He's getting hit behind the line of scrimmage far too often. He takes too long to get going. And I think a large part of like the high expectations for Hall was that the thought that they drafted him, what, like 35th overall, something like that, 36th overall, he was going to come in and be like the de facto number one guy for this team. But that's not even the case. They've got multiple backs there. The, Brees Hall is not going to be the starter. And I just think it's going to be very difficult for him to get close to 830 rushing yards. I think on FanDuel at one point, he might have been number two in Offensive Rookie of the Year odds. And now he's dropped. He's he's fifth. I really, I, I'm so impressed with Pierce on Houston. And I watched the preseason that first drive. But I was, I've also been following, Just got, I've been a psycho with preparation this year. He just has it. You can tell from the stories and stuff. Like the coach, say he just gave him the starting job in the first week. He's like, this guy's going to be our starting running back. All the stories from camp are like, this guy's incredible. 
He's 16 to one for rookie of the year house. That's fine. I'm I'm in it. I have already spent money. I watched George Pickens play one quarter of football and immediately yeah. jumped into that market. He's, he's nine just, to one. Yeah, that jumped. He is. What a beautiful athlete. Holy cow. Knock my socks off. So I had to get in on a little George Pickens. But goddamn Pittsburgh every fucking time. <laughs> this is 20 years of them just pulling out uh, wide receivers at the second. Well, they don't have Kevin Colbert anymore. I don't so get that it. may not happen in the future, but yeah, they are. So, Kevin Colbert was just so good at identifying receivers. Nobody's ever been better at a random skill than Pittsburgh grabbing receivers. What do you, what's your fourth prop, Sharp? My fourth prop, real quick though, you said you've been a psycho with your preparation. I want to yeah. know how did consuming my 564 page book go for you on your iPad, not printed? Did you did you get through it in electronic format? Way better on the iPad. House and I are old, and we don't read books anymore. We, I read on, on my electronic devices. I to me, the book, the schedule rest stuff is the most important stuff. That that has actually like really changed the way that I prepare for the season. I factored that. I have in a now separate graphic. Thinking. I'll, sh I'll get, I'll get this over to you. I did a, a, every single team and every single week and what the rest edge that is that week. So you can use it as a cheat. Yeah. You've converted me on that. That rest edge thing is, is just like unassailably effective year after year. There's no question. All right. Here's, what's your here's one thing. I, I, here's one thing I was going to do though, because I want the listeners of your pod to be able to get a chance to look at the book, but there's no way they're going to be able to get through that thing in in much time because the season starts really soon. So I was going to give it to them for just $1. That way they're not wasting their money. On wow. It. If, so if How you nice go to this, is that? What a, if you what go a, to the website, treat. if you go to Sharp Football Analysis and enter code, let's say, Bill. I'll, I'll, I haven't done it yet, do but BS, I'll make it. Do code BS. Okay, the code will be BS. Just type in BS and you get it for a dollar. That way you don't feel bad that you got it so close to the season and you and you wasted $30 or whatever. Yeah, skim uh, it. Take a couple so. bathtubs with it. Bring in the tub. Just <laughs> put your reading glasses on and zoom through it like House does. Are you sure you can't make the code Mac Jones sucks? Are you sure you can't <laughs> no, do that? That's not going to be the code. <laughs> yeah, House, you missed. You missed. We 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 shorted the pats at the top. Oh, wow. I wasn't Amazing. afraid to do it. I love, All right. I Bill, Bill was very jinx. objective about it, too. I, Bill, right. Bill was very All right. House knows. I am objective on my teams when when it when it's warranted. And in this case, the Patriots are not going to be good this year, unfortunately. Kyle is just going to, I know he, it's killing him, but there's just not a, not a huge case. Hopefully he's going to be heaping the, heaping the stuff on me. If, if the Patriots end up being good, he's, I'm definitely not going to stop hearing it from him. I would love for them let, to surprise us. What's your fourth prop? Sharp? Let me go to the last one. The last, the 10th of 10, the fourth player prop, and this is an over. So we get a little bit of optimism. Uh, Cortland Sutton receiving yards over 900 oh, and a half. I looked at this. And, yeah, sure. And mm. here's my logic on this. I bet this as soon as they lost, Tim Patrick. And when I look at Drew Locke and Drew Locke out of 33 quarterbacks the last two years, he ranked 33rd in accuracy, 33rd in completion rate, 32 in success rate, 30 in EPA, basically like bottom five in every other statistical category. So I'm not going to share the rest of them. We know that Russell Wilson tailed off some in his career. However, before he hurt his finger, I don't think people realized he was the number one quarterback in the NFL in yards per attempt last year before he hurt his uh, finger, the mallet finger and his throwing hand. Number one in EPA per attempt, number one in completion rate, number one in passer rating, number three most touchdown passes. Okay, now you look at what has Russell Wilson's receivers done in Seattle. The last two years, his top two receivers cleared this with ease. Metcalf and Lockett, both seasons, the last two years, 
no less than 967 yards. Most of the time, it was over 1,000 yards. Three of those four times, they went over 1,000 yards. And one of those was a 16-game season, and one of those was when Russ was hurt for several of the games. Now he's going to an offense that is going to be throwing the ball more. They're not going to be hamstrung by Pete Carroll. And, you know, I mentioned Drew Locke and and how terrible he has been, and that's the quarterback for Cortland Sutton. But Drew, Cortland Sutton, look at the other quarterbacks that Cortland Sutton has caught passes from in his NFL career. How can I bet on those quarterbacks? And we weren't ever happy, ever. 83 targets from Case Keenum, 78 targets from Teddy Bridgewater, 61 from Drew Locke, 59 from Joe Flacco, and 25 from Brandon Allen. Yeah, I mean, we were there Cortland for most Sutton of them. Sutton has had terrible quarterbacks. Russell Wilson is capable of delivering his number one wide receiver over 900 receiving yards. You obviously have the concern about injury anytime you bet an over, but I think this one is far too low in my opinion. I think the guy goes for a dime. I think he's over 1,000 receiving yards. I have a follow-up to this because this is one of my favorite player props. Eight plus touchdowns for him, plus 200. 10 put this on Fandle, 10 plus touchdowns plus 470. And if you want to really get ambitious house, 12 touchdowns or more, 10 to one. And if you look at the Metcalf locket results with Wilson, like they've always been in that eight to 12 range. And now that Tim Patrick's out, I, I could see Sutton being like, I think a lot of people are on him, but it's not inconceivable to me that he could have 1200 yards and 12 touchdowns this season. It's the deep stuff to me. It's it's a lot of the deep stuff. And keep in mind, Russ had so much chemistry with Tyler Lockett in yep. Seattle, and then they inserted DK Metcalf. Russ has no chemistry with any of these receivers, but what I have heard is that he's really gravitated towards Cortland Sutton more so than Jerry Judy. I'm not saying Jerry Judy can't have a good season this year, but like the style of routes and the style of player that Cortland Sutton is definitely meshes better with the way that Russ plays the game mm. than does Jerry Judy. So, House, what was your favorite player prop before we go? Well, I have to, as usual, thank the great state of South Carolina. They have provided me with inspiration. You know, I refused after the Washington football team changed their name to this filthy C word. God bless Car- <laughs> the South Carolina. They come along. They're changing the, the, the name of their mascot and the lead contender is the cock commanders. Now I'm willing to call my <laughs> Washington football team, the professional cock commanders. And I have here the perfect quarterback for the professional cock commanders. And that is Carson Wentz. Now his number on FanDuel right now is 3,450 yards. You can get oh that. My price. God. It's, it's minus one twelve. If you divide 3,450 by 17, that's 203 yards a game. You need Carson Wentz to throw 203 yards a game. Now, look, on a, the serious aspect of this, I think Washington has a formidable run-pass um, situation on, on offense. I think Brian Robinson's going to be a revelation, and especially the impact that will translate to Antonio Gibson catching footballs out of the backfield and in the slot. Curtis Samuel apparently has a healthy hamstring. Mm. I really believe in Scott uh, uh, Turner with options. And Jahan Dotson should be a little bit of a a revelation, take some pressure off of Terry McLaurin. Can Carson Wentz throw for 203 yards a game? I believe so. The offensive line above I thought you were going to go under. You're going over on Carson Wentz, 3,400? 3,450. It's oh glass half God. ball time of the year. The professional cock commanders are still 
avail, uh, uh, an option to win the NFC East as we sit here at the end of August, Bill Simmons, over on Carson Wentz at 3,450 yards at minus 12. You do this That's every right. year. Yes, you I do. do. Here. First of all, I like them more for worse record at 35 to 1 than to win the NFC East. <laughs> Second, I think you stumbled into the best possible nickname for them, the Washington Seawords. Can we just call them that this season? Is that legal? That's fine. That's fine. I'm no, going to call them the Seawords. We'll I'm not calling them the Commanders. The Seawords and the Professional Cock Commanders. Those that, those will be the two options. Sharp, can, can you 20 seconds critique that Wentz over and then we'll go? I mean, this offensive line is significantly worse than some of the offensive lines he's played behind before. I don't hate the fact that you have optimism for your team, um, but I actually would like to see what ends up happening with Sam Howell as their starting quarterback, quite frankly. So, um, me you know, too. me too. <laughs> so Wentz, for that reason, I'm, I'm, I, I can't fade it, but I'm not certainly not back. Well, the it. fastest pathway to Sam Howell is me wagering all across the board on Carson Wentz. So that's <laughs> oh, so this if is we want to see Sam plan. Howell. Let's bet heavy on Carson Wentz. Thirty five hundred sixty three yards for Carson Wentz last year on the Colts. So you're yes, right. Two hundred yards a game. You're basically, if you're betting that over, you're just betting that he plays the whole season. But That's I don't right. think any of us are convinced. All right. <laughs> this was so much fun. And we didn't even talk about how much I love KC Sharp. I like KC for the division, plus 155. I like KC for number one seed at plus 650. I like KC for best regular season record at 9-1. to one. I also like Philly at 25-1 to one for that. And I like them in the Super Bowl. I'm in on Casey. But we'll, we can talk about that another time. Uh, we can hear you guys during the football season. On Fridays, on the Ringer Gambling Show, House, stay out of trouble. Sharp, great to see you. Thanks for doing that promo with your book. Go to sharpfootballanalysis.com. Put in BS as a code, and you can get the book for $1. Thanks, Sharp. Thanks, House. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that. Made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. All right, this might be the last time we talk about NBA in a Sunday podcast for a while. I had to bring in my guy, Justin Termini. You can hear him with Eddie Johnson, America's favorite odd couple on the serious NBA show in the afternoons. It's been a fairly boring summer, but there's some, there's some takes left. You've been known to have some takes from time to time. There's a couple, couple takes. I asked you if you had anything good. You had a couple that just uh, delighted me. So you start, biggest underrated summer NBA take that people aren't talking about enough. We talked about well, KD. We talked about where Donovan Mitchell is going. What is the what is the sneaky under the radar one you're surprised has gotten more attention? 
Yeah. Now, first of all, I host a show five days a week and I don't hit the air one time, Bill, where I'm not ticked off about something. So even if it's like a slow summer, <laughs> I can get annoyed at something. Now, we spent a lot of time in this old school, uh, new school media. Uh, I don't even know if that's underrated because I think a lot of people are talking about it. I, I might have to go in the direction of a team like and you're a Celtic fan, like Danny Ainge gets ripped all the time for like, oh, well, I almost made a deal, but you know, I, I didn't quite complete it. Is there a team that gets linked to more stars than the Miami Heat and don't end up getting said star? I mean, it seems like every single name that's thrown out there, Pat Riley is linked to. Pat Riley doesn't end up getting, but we get that same type of, we don't get that same type of conversation of, of him targeting a guy and not following through and being able to get him. And let's be honest, the, the, the Lakers, and we've seen it with LeBron going there, we've seen it with Pat Riley benefiting from in the past, but nobody has an easier job of putting together an NBA team than Jeannie Boss and Rob Palenka. Uh, the Clippers now, since they've got competent ownership, and Pat Riley, where not only does Pat Riley get the benefit of like the lifestyle like you do out in, in L.A., you have no income tax. And you know from living, you know, making a lot of money living in Los Angeles, you pay a hefty income tax. You don't have to deal with that when you go to Miami. So you get all the perks of living in L.A. plus no income tax. And what has their offseason been? I mean, it should be the easiest job in, in sports to run the Miami Heat. And Pat Riley is competent, Andy Ellsberg, and, and they do a good job down there. But they've had a horrid offseason. Well, and then you could go back a year ago, the Lowry thing. I don't think year one of the Lowry experiment did not work. He wasn't in shape. They basically came out after the season and did that coded Miami Heat language about we want to see our players in awesome shape heading into this next season. But I would say year one of that didn't work. And then the Duncan Robinson for, Jesus, 90 million? And I he's pretty much untradeable. You're right. I So here's why I think they get thrown into stuff. Because there's been a couple times where they have pulled the rabbit out of the hat. Where like the Jimmy Butler just saying, I'm going to Miami. And then having that actually work out for them combined with, uh, they pulled off Dragic like what, seven years ago? And then Lowry a year ago. So I think people people feel like they're in the mix, but those might've just been isolated situations. Well, you know? I, I laugh as well at them saying like, oh, well, Bam Adebayo hasn't been thrown into any deal. And I understand you couldn't make it work because of the Simmons thing where yeah. they could be on the same roster. But if they could get rid of Bam Adebayo, they would. Because you think about Rod, Pat Riley's history, right? As a play, Think about how he's won all his championships, either as a coach, an executive, as a player. As a player, he's on that 72 team, right? 1972 team. It's Wilt, it's Jerry West. Okay, so you got two of the top, what, 10 to 12 players in the history of the sport on that team. Then you go mm. to what he won as a coach. It's Kareem and it's Magic Johnson, okay? Then you go as to what he did as an executive. He's only one. And I won't even throw Dwayne Wade into the mix, but we can still say that it's just been Shaq and it's been LeBron James because Wade's probably around 35-40 if you're ranking historical players. Yeah. But all those other guys have been top 10, 12, 15 players. So he doesn't have any of those on his roster right now. So clearly he's interested in Kevin Durant. Right. And there, you look at last year, that the Butler thing was interesting too. How That was a lot of people that I know, people that are a Spectre, like he absolutely should have taken that three. I'm just telling you, he's a Celtic fan. If he's going to the basket, I think he either scores or gets fouled. They have all the momentum at that point. And I was actually relieved when I saw him pulling up. I didn't think it was going to go in. I just didn't. I, I don't think he's a very good three-point shooter. I felt like those... I was psyched that he wasn't just driving it out Horford. But I wonder, like, you think they made the finals in 2020. They had that moment. They almost pulled off one of the most incredible comebacks ever last year in that game. They're down, what, was it 14? I don't remember. I blocked that out of my mind. Yeah. And it's the same roster as last year. I guess the one thing is they've convinced Old Depot to come back. Old Depot's now 30. 
Well, he yes. really hasn't been Oladipo for four years. I thought offensively he was a liability for them. Defensively, he was great. Offensively in the playoffs, a liability. And that's basically their big move, crossing your fingers and hoping Oladipo goes up a level. Yeah, not only that. So first of all, Kyle Lowry is now, what, 36? So he's another, and he looked unplayable yeah. towards the tail end of that. So, you know, that series, he was on play. He wasn't even playing basketball. He was right. flopping around. And then you look at uh, P.J. Tucker's not coming back. He was a big part of what they were doing. So, all right, we'll get right. Hero back healthy. But I thought they were one of the historically worst one seeds that we saw last year. I thought the road that they had to get to the conference finals was putrid. I mean, Atlanta was not good, and Atlanta was banged up in the first round. They get Philadelphia. There's no Embiid. Then they get to the Celtics, who really should have won that series in five games, and it got stretched yep. seven. But I thought the the road that they had even to get to the conference finals uh, was very smoke and mirrors. And now to bring back a team which I think is older and worse, uh, you know, I don't put them in that same level as the upper echelon in the Eastern Conference. I think they're somewhere around four or five with no shot of reaching an NBA Finals. Yeah, I did a pot a couple of days ago, and I had them third, and I just kind of didn't think about it. But when you texted me, I really started thinking about it. And I think the Celtics and Bucks have to be considered above everyone else in the East now. I don't think Miami can be considered because the Celtics got better. We'll see what happens with Gallinari. I know he, he yeah. it turns out it wasn't an ACL, so that's a relief. But the Celtics, all the experience they got, adding Brogdon, just their younger guys getting a year older. I, there's no way it's them and the Bucks, and then it's a little drop. And then Philly, I think, is the wild card team. Yeah, because well, so, we don't know what we're getting from Harden. We don't know if he's closer to three years ago Harden than maybe we're expecting. Yeah, so we got the the new the day the news that the Durant broke that he was staying. Eddie and I got into a massive fight because uh, he thinks that Boston and Brooklyn are or no, he thinks Boston and Philadelphia are on equal footing. So he thinks Brooklyn's the best team in the Eastern Conference. Then he goes with Milwaukee number two. Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn. He thinks they're number one. Now, I think they're a top three. I have them three with Durant coming back as long as they take the regular season seriously, which is a big question mark. But if they take the regular season seriously, I'll give them a top three nod. Then I think it's those three teams. And then I think there's a drop off before we get to Philadelphia. He thinks they're on the same level of Boston. I don't. Now, I could see that happening if Harden's the Harden that we saw two years ago when he first got to Brooklyn or if he's the James Harden of Houston. But if we don't get and it's hard to turn back the clock. Once you lose that step, you get out of shape. It's hard to, to get back to what you were. If he does that, okay, I'll put Philadelphia on that uh, on that tier. But unless I see, you know, unless he proves he can stay healthy and he's and he's committed, I don't have Philadelphia there. Yeah, I'm trying to think other times in NBA history when somebody has tailed off as a superstar and then recaptured it three years later. I don't really have one. Yeah, I'm. I'm I, I feel like I'm. That. This is a good combo to try yeah. to figure out the legacy of that and. I don't really have one. The Philly thing, I thought Melton was a good ad. I actually liked that they kept Tybal. I think because of the vaccination stuff and the fact that he sucked in the playoffs, it seemed like he was out there for anybody to grab. And I thought it would have been a mistake to trade him because I still value defense. We see every year, like, like that guy defensively can be on a Final Four roster. So I thought that was smart they didn't trade him. And they still have, you know, Harris's contract is a little more tradable than it was last year, but we'll see. Well, let me ask you on that because I think they were drafted, you know, almost back to back. But Ainge got a lot of a lot of crap for taking uh, for taking Grant Williams and passing on Thibel. Yeah, and, including like, for me. We're watching that Milwaukee series. You're like, all right, well, maybe I'd rather have Grant Williams than Thibel. He's the Celtic fan. Would you rather have Thibel or would you rather have Grant Williams? Before? I'd rather have Grant Williams because yeah. of how he matches up with Milwaukee. But yeah. with that said, Grant Williams was bad the last two rounds. 
So I want to know what happened to him those last two rounds. Was it just all the miles they put on him or whatever? You mentioned, so Eddie thinks, I mean, listen, this is going to be the first time either of us thinks Eddie is an insane person because he is. He's legitimately insane. Um, He thinks Brooklyn is the best team in the East. That's an actual Eddie Johnson opinion. Yeah, it is. And see, the the issue with this, and I'm glad we have this on audio now, because now at the end of the season, he might try and deny it. If uh, Right. He does like, do that. He does. I, yeah, and that'll turn into a massive debacle where, like, say there's major news breaking. And instead of Eddie and I breaking down the major news, we're fighting over the fact that he said something that he says he didn't say. But uh, yes, as of right now, and Eddie's known to change his mind, he has Brooklyn as the number one seed. And I can't do that just based off not knowing if they're going to treat the regular season seriously, not knowing the health of Kyrie Irving. I think he's averaged, I saw the staff, 55 games since he's entered the league. I mean, so if he's not going to be out there on the floor, and that's the other thing when you get into this most skilled thing, well, guess what? A skill is actually staying on the floor. I'm really confused by the perception of Kyrie Irving versus how it compares to the facts. Because the facts are, for the last five years, he has not been an impact guy in the playoffs at all. The last time he was truly an impact guy in the playoffs was the 2017 playoffs, which he was awesome. Then he has not been able to stay in the floor, even dating back to Duke. I mean, really like the 15, 16, 17 range, and he got hurt in the 15 playoffs, but 16 and 17, I guess, are the only two times we've seen him healthy, durable, and productive on a good team. We haven't seen it in five years that nobody seems to care about this. He's 30 years old now. He is who he is. Wait, so you're telling me the only time we've seen Kyrie Irving productive is when he's played arguably the greatest player of all time? Think about right. it. Like, he's been the, like, oh, he's the number two on a championship team. But it's not like you're the, and no insult to, like, say, like a Dwayne Wade or a Dirk who were the number one on championship teams. No insult to those guys, but he wasn't the number two to one of those guys. He was the number two to arguably the greatest player of all time. Since then, he's done nothing in the postseason. And like, I, I know that Tatum made some comments about superstar and he's going back and forth with Taylor Rooks during that Bleacher Report interview. And they're debating whether Damian Lillard is one. Lillard, to me, is the better player. And, you know, part of its leadership, part of its durability uh, and the other stuff, I'll take my chances, even if Kyrie is slightly more skilled. And it's not about one on one. Of course, like Kyrie, it's it's about five on five. I've had this discussion in the past before when it comes to like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and like even Allen. Allen Iverson might be able to beat Magic or Bird one on one. Uh, Kobe Bryant probably beats Magic or Bird one on one. But who's the better NBA player? It's Magic and Bird because they make their teammates better. They fit into a team concept. Kyrie Irving doesn't do that. So, and you know, Bill, if I could also as well point this out, uh, remember that final play where Kyrie's dribbling right before Tatum finishes the layup uh, at the end of game one? Kyrie stops. Exactly. So uh, not only the defensive play, but go back on offense because Eddie did bring up a good point on this. Oh, the hero ball play. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the hero ball play. So many people, and I thought this initially as well, many people are like, well, Kyrie, you know, the crowd shouldn't get on his case in game two, right? Because Kyrie like torched him in game one. He scored a bunch of points. I forget the number, but Eddie brought up a good point the next day. He's like, no, the crowd actually won because on that final offensive possession for Brooklyn, Kyrie's like, I'm going to show them. And he blocked everybody else out around him. He dribbles till there's about in circles till there's about three seconds left in the shot clock, kicks it out to Durant, who's draped by Tatum. Tatum can't get the shot off. So it was actually one the crowd getting in his head and two, just a horrible display of dribbling because he felt he could do it all himself at the uh, expense of his team. You look at his last. So since the 2017 finals, he's played in 22 playoff games over the next five seasons and he's 22, five and five are yep. his stats, right? 
people seem to think he's a superstar. Look, he made the biggest, one of the biggest shots in the history of the finals in 2016 in a game that was a rock fight. Nobody was making anything. And then he makes this three. He's great. 2017, that Cavs team was incredible offensively. But it was five years ago. It was 2017. People are judging him now based on like the Twitter clips and the YouTube clips and some of the highlights versus what he was, which was they got swept. He was healthy. He played. He had no injuries. He was 100% healthy. He is not, to me, it's like when you're talking about, all right, top threes and you just go through and the Brooklyn top three is KD, 34, who is still one of the best five-day players in the league. But then you have Kyrie, who just has not proven he's a reliable regular season guy or the same kind of, you know, elite, elite player performer. And then Simmons, who doesn't want to play basketball and who hasn't played since May of 2021, which by my calculations is 16 months ago. And we don't know if he's playing now. He still has a back issue. And those that's your big three. I mean, think of the juxtaposition. It's Durant, who I think we both agree, probably loves basketball as much as anybody that's ever played. And then it's two guys. I'm not sure who wants to play less. Is it Kyrie or is it is it Ben Simmons? And, and that's the point about like wanting to play. When all of a sudden did Kyrie become the guy that's like going to be the torchbearer for Kobe Bryant? Because what's the big, like, if you're going to be, like, what, if I think of Kobe Bryant, even as a Celtic fan, like, the one thing I respected about him and the reason I loved him is because he loved to play basketball. Like, it was his sole focus, and he played through anything, whether it was an injury, whether it was the incident in Colorado. And Kyrie is kind of... How about his Achilles? He he blew out his Achilles and shot the free throws. Exactly. And Kyrie's the complete opposite. And this is supposed to be the torchbearer for him where he does everything he can to avoid playing basketball. It's insane. Yeah, Kobe needs to somehow send a message from the afterlife that he needs somebody else to carry the torch for him. Yeah, Devin Booker, Tatum. What yeah, Tatum Devin Booker's a perfect one. Games? Both those guys yeah. love to play. Devin Booker's a perfect one. The... Uh, the Nets right now have the third best odds on FanDuel to win the title, which I just, I honestly don't understand it because think of all the variables. You have the best part of the team openly tried to get the coach and GM fired, whether that was some sort of tactical move to get traded, I don't know. But that was the thing that happened, that he requested the dismissal of his coach and GM. So you have that. You have Kyrie, who is basically a 50 to 60 game uh, a year player. And then the playoffs is pretty one-sided and not a defensive force at all. If Simmons, I have no idea what to expect from him. We have no idea how he's going to respond to pressure. If Curry coming off ankle surgery, if Joe Harris coming off an entire missed season, uh, and then a bunch of young guys who are improving and the media microscope of just every move, quote, everything is going to be dissected. And somebody like Kyrie, he has something every day. He can't help himself. So I just think, I think it's going to be a soap opera and a mess. And if I was like, if you could tell me this is actually going to be great or this is going to be an absolute disaster, I would go absolute disaster. You didn't even mention what their, their center position is like as well. I mean, I think they need to shore that up. I mean, what is it right now? It's Nick Claxton, so, uh, who's, who's good. But, I mean, you look right. at the other centers that on these competing teams at the other big, Giannis and Robert Williams, pretty good, Al Horford. What are they going to do in that spot? And, you know, Kyrie, let's see. I mean, now he understands maybe that nobody around the league wants him, that he's playing for a contract. And if we do get a focus, Kyrie, I do love the talent, but the, the question is the focus. So one more thing for you is the just a lot of Donovan Mitchell attention. Yeah. And I think you and I are a little bit aligned on this where I get it. I get it for the Knicks. There's a credibility that comes with him. He's performed in big playoff games. At least 
when you're in a toe-to-toe against some of the other best offensive players in the league, it's a little like Damian Lillard. It's a nice guy to have on your side yeah. when you're playing Denver and Jamal Murray has hit 10 threes in the first three quarters. And at least you have your guy that you can kind of get in the gunfight with. At the same time, the price for him, first of all, I don't know who the Knicks are competing against. Even Cleveland, I think, kind of kicked the tires just to make it seem like they were yeah. interested because they wanted to make sure the Knicks didn't steal him. I have no idea who else they're competing against. And when you look at the other offers and it's like, all right, Miami's got Tyler Hero, the Duncan Robinson contract nobody wants, and they can come up to two picks and they're spread out. That is not, you don't get Mitchell for that, but yet I don't think the Knicks should be giving up all of their picks for him either. It's somewhere in between. Yeah, plus is Danny going to give, uh, is Danny Ainge going to give somebody the Pat Riley, right? That, that Riley wants. I think that relationship's pretty interesting. Right, well. yeah, that's but, not happening. Yeah, and then you you get nervous like, all right, if, if Pat Riley does a trade with Danny Ainge, maybe Pat Riley's going to win that trade. If I'm like saying, all right, Danny Ainge already picked on Minnesota, right? And Minnesota might be the worst run organization over the last 20, 30 years. Now he's going to go, Danny Ainge who's one of the best executives we've ever seen. never loses a deal. Run through the Danny Ainge deals. He never loses. Then he deals with Minnesota, who's a horrible organization. Granted, Tim Connolly's a good executive, came over from Denver, and now he's going to deal with, with New York, who's made bad decision after bad decision. Here's the reason why I'm like you, what you said at the outset, is I can see it from New York's perspective. It's because as low as I view Mitchell as like a superstar and a number one option, he can't be a number one, he could be a number two or a number three, but... Have they even had a guy outside of Carmelo as good as Donovan Mitchell the last 20 years? I mean, it's Carmelo. It's maybe Amari Stoudemire for one year. Maybe it's Julius Randle for one year. So they really haven't had a player like him in in 20 plus years. I'm trying to think. I guess like early 2000s Sprewell, but even he wasn't as probably as good as Mitchell. Yeah, look, I think the best thing they have is time because if you're Utah, you are now all in on this. We want to be the team in the West other than San Antonio that's tanking the hell out of the season. The closer we get to opening day, you don't want Mitchell there to start the season. You, you're you kind of in yeah. bed with your roster. They could audible. They have some good veterans and maybe go, all right, well, we couldn't trade them. So, but it, it's, it just feels like there's been an unspoken agreement on both sides. I got to say, I was pretty intrigued by Cleveland getting involved. And I know like uh, having Colin Sexton involved in the trade is really hard because he's a restricted free agent. But I, I was trying to figure out how would that work? How many picks could they get thrown in? And then trying yeah. to figure out the, the Garland-Mitchell backcourt, I think would with, with you have all these big guys that could have protected them on defense. And then these two scores, the yin and yang of that, I think I, I was intrigued by that. Brunson and Mitchell with no center help protecting them. I'm not as excited. No. And then you got, uh, you know, Brunson who's trying to get away from Luca because Luca's got the ball too much. And now you're just going to join another guy in Donovan Mitchell who's the same type of player, but he's not nearly as good. I'm not sure even how Brunson would feel about that. Yeah. Brunson, he wanted, he, it's a, like a family decision, at least partially for him, right? It's like yeah. he grew up with World Wide West and his dad's a coach and all that. And it's like, well, family trumps everything. I love my family. As people who've listened to this podcast know, my, my daughter's been on 30 <laughs> times. My dad's been on the entire time I've had my podcast. Even my mom came on once. That wouldn't be my determining factor for what my best basketball decision is. If I, if I were him, the more I thought about it all summer, it's like, man, you left Luka Doncic yeah. to, go, to go to a Knicks team that other than one playoff round in 2013 has not been relevant since Y2K, basically. 
And they didn't even like give you the max. They give you a hundred million and you did it because it was, but man, I, I just wonder if two years from now, he's going to be looking at that one going, oh, why did I do that? Yeah. And we don't even know if like he was allowing Dallas to match that or if North Cuban might have, but yeah, think, I mean, you're like, that's a good point. You're leaving an all-time great who's just starting to hit like his apex. You're leaving a team that went to the conference finals this past year, right? Despite even not having Tim Hardaway Jr., you're going to add back into the mix as well. And to me, like personally, I think he left one of the better owners in the sport where Cuban, when push comes to shove, like Cuban's going to go out there. I know they haven't had like success recruiting guys, but I think kids beloved around the league. I think Luca plays a brand that you're going to want to play with and Cuban's going to spend and gives these guys everything they want. So yeah, a, a weird decision. Yeah, leaving a great player, there's not a, there's a checkered history. I guess like Carlos Boozer, maybe it turned out the best because he left Le- early LeBron, yeah, went to Utah. And the, you know, they, that, that team with him and Williams, like those teams won playoff series there for a few years. So you can't really kill them on that. But for the most part, I want to stay with the franchise guy. All right, before we go, your guy, Eddie. Yes. He was hashtag we good the whole playoffs oh. last year. Yeah. Hashtag we good, we good, we good. And then Dallas upsets them in one of the strangest game sevens in the history of the league. Like really, it's in the top, top tier of what the F happened oh, yeah. for game sevens. There's been some COVID stuff that's come out since. There's that clearly impacted them in some way. We'll we'll never know. But we have never seen a team just come out and take a dump like that at home in a game seven. And it really paves the way for the Warriors. It makes their next round easier and all this stuff. Looks like Aiton's going to leave. All of a sudden, Aiton's coming back. They match the offer. Oh, we're going to match it all along. There's no question. Oh, okay. Um, Now they're back. And there seems like there's some sun's optimism again. What is Eddie saying? What, oh, so what, now it's what, hashtag, it's hashtag, we still good. It's, we still, it's hashtag, we, we still good. We still good. So that's what you're going to see for the upcoming season. We had Monty Williams on the show a couple of days ago and we asked him about the relationship with Aiton and uh, asked him about the Durant trade rumors and whether like, because I think Jalen Brown, I mean, listen, maybe Brad Stevens has to sit down with him. Maybe Monty Williams has to sit down with Mikhail Bridges and, and, and with Aiton. He says he doesn't because they were never legitimate rumors and he said he hadn't yet. Uh, but I think there's a little bit of like almost a Super Bowl hangover that they're going to have to deal with because two years in a row, I mean, they go deep into the, they go to the finals, they come up short, then they come back next year, take the regular season seriously, win 64 games. And now they've got to get like recharged for the regular season again. I'm not sure that they're going to have a great regular season. And Monty even told this, Bill, he said, and you and I like love when teams are chasing the, the, the record wins, right? Like I happen to think the cutoff is 67 and the championship to be an all-time great. I think I've heard you say 66. Yeah. 66, 67 range, I think is where you need to be. So I love when teams do that. Uh, That's why load management just ticks me off. But Monty Mm. said, hey, maybe last year we should have won 59 games instead of 64 just to make sure my guys were a little bit healthier heading into the postseason, particularly Chris Paul. I think we're going to see a lot of that with Paul this year. Well, they have a couple of problems. One is there's a blueprint now with old Chris Paul. And we we can say he's past his prime Chris Paul because he is. He's in his late 30s now. And New Orleans exposed something in that series that just kind of helped that team unravel, it felt like. They just pressured him the whole time. They made him work. And the fact that he was giving up the ball over dribbling up the court against Alvarado, he just wouldn't have done that 10 years ago. So he's he should be at a different stage of his career. He's in the 2005 draft. There's barely anyone left from any draft in 03, 04, 05. 
So you have that. There's the Cam Johnson. They got to figure that piece out because Cam Johnson, they're going to have to pay in a year. So it's a little bit of a last hurrah with this. And we haven't seen Sarver really spend like that. But like, I'm looking at the FanDuel odds for the West. Gold State's plus 320. The Clippers are plus 340. So they're basically almost the co-favorites. And then it goes Phoenix plus 450. And then it drops. For some reason, the Lakers are 9-1. to one. As I've said, I will happily book all Lakers to win the West bets. Just uh, just email me. I'll take them. But you go into that Dallas 12-1, to one, Minnesota 15-1, New Orleans 26-1. to one. Phoenix plus 450, I got to say, does not seem like great odds. I feel like they missed their window is where I'm leaning. Like they had this two-year yeah. window. It's closed. The Clippers are now kind of going to take their spot, I feel like. Where, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I've also, I love continuity. And it's one of the reasons I think like the teams from the 80s would beat the, the great like Durant teams in Golden State. You know, style of play is a little bit different. Uh, but those guys like knew where each other was going to be on the floor. Today, we don't see teams sticking around enough. This yeah. team stuck around. I mean, they've made two deep runs. This would be their third one. But I also think that there's something to like adding that fresh blood where you get a guy and they're like, all right, you've already won a championship. Well, we've added like, I don't know, James Worthy. Let's get a championship for him. Uh, okay, we've added Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, we've added like so Malcolm <laughs> Brown for you guys, although Celtics don't have a championship yet to, right. to sort no, of no, like, re-motivate them. But uh, like, I always think you need to add maybe a guy or two like that. They didn't do that. Uh, and I don't know where you said about Denver, but like Denver's healthy too. And if they look that good last year with their second and third best player out, and now their defense has improved a little bit with some of the deals they made, I think yeah. you got to throw them into the mix too. I like them as well. And the, the Porter thing, each team's got their X factor, right? For, for the Suns, it's what, what's left in Chris Paul's tank at this point? Where is he at his career? Because if if he's deteriorating every year, I think we're just going to look at two years ago as that window. And that, a series that came down to maybe four plays against the Bucs, right? Four plays, they had to make two of them. They didn't make any of them. I still think I'd take Dallas seriously too with uh, Hardaway's coming back. Luca at some point is going to wreak havoc. I don't know what year that's going to be. So they're in there for me. And then, you know, Golden State, I think, is pretty focused on there's some immortality at stake for them. And then the Clippers thing, this is year four for them where nothing has really gone right. And now they have this absolutely loaded roster and they they probably have, I I would say, the biggest eye of the tiger factor. We're just like, can we be good once? Yeah, because we talked about Kyrie at the beginning, right? Like how he's not really held accountable for the lack of success. And now Kawhi's got two championships. He's the lead dog at, at the second stop there at the very least in, in Toronto. But like, all right, so he's been there for three years. He wasn't really even a part of that team that made it to the conference finals. Where he, got, he got hurt and didn't end up playing. But they haven't done anything yet. They're a little bit, to me, like Tatum and Brown on steroids. So I... I I think you should have success with them. Plus, they're arguably one of the deepest teams, I think, at least in the like the last 20 years. We used to have Hall of Famers coming off the bench for like the uh, you know, the Celtics, the, the 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 Lakers in the 80s. We don't have that anymore. Like, but this is as deep as a team as I can remember in a while. Yeah, I, I think they're gonna be good too. It's weird when your biggest concern is you have too many guys, that's usually a good problem. But I do wonder, like, with all the guys they have in that roster, how's everybody gonna be? They basically have 11 guys that can play. And guys who are like pretty willful veteran dudes who are used to like getting how they want. Interesting. All right, before we go, the new new media versus old media. Where is Eddie? Oh, Eddie's not old media. Oh, he's not oh, new media. He's like oh, his own own media, right? 
Oh no, Eddie is Eddie is old media. Oh, we're oh, getting, so, oh. so we're allowing Eddie in old media. Oh, we are. Eddie wants. Eddie doesn't want to be a part of new media. So Ed, I didn't know the, if he had a third. Like it, like when Ross Perot ran for president as a third party, is Eddie on a, on a third party? Well, he's like yeah, he's allowed to like go back and forth, I guess, just depending on like the opinion. But he is like old media, and I'm not sure if like Kendrick Perkins has come out and said he's old or new. But Eddie is like nominated him for old media, so Perk is old media as well. Eddie, Eddie, every like you want to get Eddie like fired up. All you have to do is throw Draymond's name out there, and Draymond will go. Uh, Eddie will go nuts. Now he gets me wild up too, and part of it's like the hypocrisy. Yeah. I just lay out hip, hip, hypocritical. Like, first of all, you got like him, his teammates, his coach, his I guess now wife are telling everybody in Boston that they're not allowed to swear. Right. Meanwhile, he's in Memphis flipping everybody off just a couple of weeks prior. Okay. <laughs> right. Then he goes to a parade where, all right, there's a lot of kids sleeping at 10 o'clock at night when they're like screaming, bleep you, Draymond in Boston during the NBA finals. Everybody is skipping school in Golden State watching that parade. He's swearing like crazy there. Then he goes on Comedy Central. He's swearing like crazy again there. Then he goes after Kendrick Perkins with a racial slur. And a week later, He's saying that an ESPN anchor is not allowed to call Kevin Durant emotional. So what's worse, calling somebody emotional or calling somebody a racial slur like he did to Kendrick Perkins? Then he's saying like, oh, all I do is break down X's and O's. You got to learn how to like talk the game. OK, so that's what his accusation with the old media is. Yet, like his turning point for the NBA finals was, well, I pulled down, you know, Jalen Brown shorts. And then he said, like, oh, like that didn't upset me. So that was the turning point. It wasn't X's and O's. It wasn't an adjustment. The guy who only breaks down X's and O's and teaches the game says the turning point was emotional. Then he's going like, you can't compare errors. I think it's stupid to compare errors with a tweet two minutes later he then goes oh but we beat the jazz of 1998 by 40 points and the bulls by by 20 points then a week later he's got kyle kuzman's podcast and they're breaking down like point guards of today and how the point guards of the past couldn't keep up with them so draymond says it's stupid and dumb to uh compare errors and to me i think he's compared errors more than anybody in in sports media so far that was an impressive rant was it fair? I, listen, here's the thing with the eras. Each era is different. And the job as you're comparing players from the eras is to compare their impact in the era. Right? So a hundred percent. So like Isaiah Thomas, who is absolutely incredible and is still to me, like probably the best pure point guard I've ever seen. His era was a little different and it was way more physical and it was way harder for a little guy that we had all, we didn't have any of the hand checking rules back then. And little guys got punished. And what he did in the 80s, there's no way to take stats and then twist it so that we can then, you know, put some sort of thing and be like, no, these are what his stats would look like. It's just different. You, so you just you have to say like, all right, this guy was the best player on two title teams during the era of Bird and Magic and MJ. And they won two title teams. That has to be in the first sentence of when you talk about the greatest players and when he's in there. Bill, it's why we had that conversation, I think, and me, you, and Eddie are all on the same page on this. We did this out at the NBA Finals when we saw you. This all NBA stuff where they're talking about eliminating it, you I can't. hate it because 
the the like the fun part of this is like, okay, well, how many all NBA first teams did Chris Paul make? Okay. Well, now we can go back and we can see how many did Isaiah make? How many did Bob Cousy make? Because that's the only way we can compare them. All right. Well, Bob Cousy made 10 first team all NBAs as a guard. That tells you he was one of the top two guards for 10 years during his career. Hal Greer's yeah. another one. Hal Greer had a bunch of all NBAs where it's like, this is why he was probably him and Sam Jones behind Jerry West as the best two guards for an entire decade. And here are the All-NBA teams that tell us that. Exactly. That's how you compare guys. Not to like who's faster from, you know, baseline to baseline, who's got better handles. No, it's how did you compete against your peers? And the gap between like, say, Bob Cousy, who's taken a lot of heat this offseason, is far greater to the next point guard of his era than it is between like, say, Steph Curry and the next greatest of his era, which I guess would be Chris Paul. Yeah, when Kuzi retired, he was the most important player of the first 20 years of the league. And there was, it wasn't debatable. He was the first entertaining player the league ever had. Um, you can't judge that by field goal percentage because nobody, they just fired it up. It was like hockey. You were just throwing shots up. Yeah. I think um, the center thing is stupid to me because ultimately, who do you think was better in Beater Jokic? They both played center. Don't give me the positionless basketball at that. Giannis was probably a center, but he did play enough forward. Where it got confusing for me is the swing guys, like somebody like Jalen, who I think was probably a guard, but we don't think of him as a guard. But if you looked at the Celtics lineup where they had one guard, Jalen and Tatum, and a forward, and Horford. So I, that's where maybe there should be some sort of swing position that they could add, or you should have a little more malleability. But the center and the guards, Chris Paul's a guard. You know, that's the only thing I, I haven't figured out how to solve that one yet. Yeah, 100%. I'm with you. But hey, listen, you want to create a separate thing where you like name, you know, rank the top 15 players, add that to the media ballot. I'm fine with that. But just don't oh, an addendum. The, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And then how much debate would that create at the end of the season? So, all right, we've got, you know, we still do the all NBA teams. But then after the year, everybody that votes ranks uh, their top 15 players. Those are ranked, they're, you know, computed together. Then in the offseason, it's like an official list that each year can be put on, uh, you know, the official awards ballots and everybody, you know, so that way, 30 years from now, we can go back and go like, all right, well, these are the two best guards. These are the second two best guards, blah, blah, blah. But now, all right, here's how we rank the top 15 players. I wish we had playoff MVP over what they did with that Eastern Conference, Western Conference MVP. Who cares? Who cares yeah, I, who were the semifinals MVPs? I don't know why they did that. I would have done playoff MVP and I would have done playoff all NBA teams with like 10 games minimum or 12 games minimum, whatever. Cause then it's like Wiggins, if you're probably doing that, Wiggins is probably a second team playoff all NBA for his performance and how he got better in the defense. And your goal is to like give it, do a snapshot of what happened in the season so that 30 years from now they can look at it and you kind of captured it correctly. That was the biggest thing with my book. I'm, I'm going through you know, the late 50s, I don't have a lot of ammo to look at, you know, and that those all NBA teams were super important. So I wish, I wish we captured that better now. Yeah. And the, the other thing though, is like some of the stuff, the way it's voted on in the back of my mind, like I have, and you did it in your book. It's like, all right, certain awards you don't recognize. I'm not recognizing the 2015 finals MVP. For me, that's Steph Curry. You already had one. Then you go yeah. back to 1997 with, with Jordan and Carl Malone. There's I'm not some really bad recognizing ones. that for Carl Malone. Same thing with 1975. And that's the reason like we talk with all these players like the Draymond and the new media. Oh, well, the players should vote. Okay. Well, ask Rick Barry who should vote. But in 1975, because Rick's not popular with the players because his job's to compete against them, not be buddies with them. He finishes fourth behind uh, Bob McAdoo. I think it was Kareem uh, Hayes and, yeah, uh, and Kareem. Dave Cowens or, or Kareem. Yeah. 
Like, and he's fourth. Well, he probably should have won the award. And if he didn't win the award, he was no worse than second. But the players can handle the responsibility. There was some bad stuff. There was some bad racial stuff too with that award. And the players voting in the late 50s, early 60s, yeah. where you basically had two blacks on every team. And there's some Russell ones where that, that are just appalling. Yeah, that the players voting. You know, look, if if you're going to say the media has agendas, I would argue the media is being held more accountable in 2022 than ever before. If you think about some of the shit that happened, like Pedro, somebody, like, would they leave him off the MVP ballot that one year when he had that like iconic yeah. <laughs> that night season? And some writers like, I'm not voting for pitchers. Like that stuff never happens anymore. And for the most part, you look at the all NBA teams and the MVP voting, it's pretty chalk. Everybody's yeah, and, afraid to make a mistake. Well, now. so and I, but I think that's also an issue. So I like that, but I also don't like the fact that I have to be intimidated into voting a certain way, and I'm not right. going to. Be. For example, I didn't have LeBron on my All NBA team this year. I didn't have him on one of my three All NBA teams. Uh, the combination of not playing enough games and then also not winning. All right, so why should it be on an All NBA team? Guy like Jalen Brown, I think I snuck him into my third team All NBA. Mm. I might have been one of four people to vote for him. I'm sorry, his numbers might be a little worse, but he played more games and he might have sacrificed some of those numbers so the team could actually win. And he played defense. So, uh, but people, oh well, you know, on social media they'll say these are the idiots that didn't vote for LeBron, or these are the idiots that didn't vote for this guy or that guy. I don't like the pressure in, in that regard. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I ended up voting for LeBron for third team only be, and I didn't feel great about it. And I really agonized over it because I didn't feel like he played enough yeah. games, but I just didn't feel like anybody took the spot. I yeah, had Siakam sure. on third team all NBA too. I didn't feel great about that either. But I think I have second team Siakam yeah. because I punished the not, if you don't like, so you can not win maybe, and I'll give you a break. You could not play in enough games and maybe I'll cut you a little slack for the all NBA teams for the MVP. That's different. I won't vote for it if you didn't play enough, but I'm not going to give you both. One or the other. You don't win, fine, but you got to play in a lot of games or vice versa. It can't be both. All right. Well, I got to come on your show and make fun of Eddie soon at some point. Maybe it's September after I get through this football preparation stuff. But yeah. I'm ready I'm to start lobbing some weeks, grenades. So. Yeah, mid, mid late September, I'm coming on. That sounds good. Anybody's welcome as well to call up and, and rip Eddie. He says a lot of dumb stuff. <laughs> All right. Justin Termini, good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome, Bill. Appreciate you having me on, but not as not as much dumb stuff as Draymond. I will say that. Thanks. For <laughs> All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Termini. Thanks to Sharp. Thanks to House. Thanks to Kyle Crate for producing. Thanks to Dylan Burke and Steve Cerruti as always. Don't forget new rewatchables coming Monday night. Sylvester Stallone is involved, and then I will have a new podcast on Tuesday, and another new podcast on Thursday, and. I am appearing on the big picture, Sean Fennessy's podcast this week as well to do a special Hall of Fame for an actor that I love very much. So there you go. That is my agenda for this week. We'll see you on Tuesday on this week.